Broadcasting live from Global Headquarters and RP Enterprises in Greenwood, Missouri. Stand by on this frequency. After 22 years of entertaining FM radio listeners across the U.S., across the U.S., this man is the owner and executive producer of the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl on Sportsman's Channel, CEO and founder of Dumar Chemical Solutions, and the man behind the mic of Papa Ron Radio Voiceovers and Production. He's the man, the myth. The legend, a global icon, future Nobel Prize winner, and of course he paid me to say all this. Really? Literally. Welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's your host, Ronnie Phillips. Ronnie Phillips. Back at it. It's episode seven. <laughs> episode seven of Papa Ron Podcast. Been looking forward to this episode for several weeks now. Tonight, my guest is an old friend. We met back when I arrived at Q104 in 2003. Just a couple small town Midwest guys, several things in common. Before I introduce tonight's guest, I again just want to express my gratitude to everyone who has taken the time to reach out with flattering sentiments about this podcast. I didn't really know what to expect, but my goal was to have some fun with this and talk about some real life stuff and issues that is often uncomfortable to talk about publicly. And since then, I've learned that this approach has resonated with many, and I'm humbled that the listeners and the viewers are finding this podcast to be informative and compelling. So thank you for listening or watching from the bottom of my heart. And if you would, please spread the word about the show by sharing these episodes on your social platforms. As I just referenced, these episodes are available in a video version. Every single podcast, you can find it on Spotify and the Paparam Podcast YouTube channel. Thanks to my brothers over at Marathon Media Management. Not only do they assist in providing the video version of this episode, they're also very close friends who were a big inspiration to me and starting this podcast in the first place, you can hear that story in the very first episode of the Papa Ron podcast. Uh, find out about upcoming guests and topics by following the podcast on your favorites on, on our find out about upcoming podcasts and guests on all your favorite social platforms is what I was trying to say. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. All you got to do is search Papa Ron Podcast. And as I mentioned, I'm super excited about tonight's guest. Uh, I consider this guy a good friend. I've known him for nearly 20 years. He's played football for four years at Hastings College in Nebraska. And and after not getting a whole lot of looks from the NFL, right out of college, he joined the Canadian Football League. Uh, He was there with the Calgary Stampeders. And after two years in the CFL, made a big name for himself with his performance on the field, which resulted in a lot of attention from the NFL. My guest... Uh, chose to join the Kansas City Chiefs, where he played from 2002 to 2005. Later signed to play with uh, Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers in 2006. Was released before that season, signing immediately with the Colts, and then was later released, which then allowed him to go back to the CFL the same year to uh, play for Calgary and finished up his career in 2007 with the uh, Toronto Argonauts. He's most notably noted for setting a record for the longest pass caught in the NFL that was went for a touchdown from quarterback Trent Green back on December 22nd, 2002 against the San Diego Chargers in Arrowhead Stadium. Three plays later, Green to Mark Bolrichter from Hastings. 
Hastings College, the class of, I guess, 1066. Eight-yard touchdown. It's 7-0 Kansas City. And then here's Bo Richter again, making a nice catch in traffic down to the six. After a Bennett punt, puts it down at the two, and a penalty puts it back at the one. History, you cannot have a longer pass play than this. Trent Green to Bo Richter, 99 yards. The ninth time we've ever seen in NFL history. 21-6, Kansas City in the third. Wow. Longest play in Kansas City Chiefs history. That's going to be hard to top, Tom, unless you're a Canadian football team. Yeah! I will say before we get started that since then, that record is now held by 12 other receivers in the NFL. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Papa Ron Podcast, my friend, Mr. Mark Richter. What's up, man? Woo! How are we doing? Doing good, man. How are you feeling? I'm good. Where'd, you, re- find, where'd you find that audio of Chris Berman? Uh, I've had that since we became friends. Have you? Yeah, I you did. You send it to me because I don't know. I'm an Uber. You know, I'm one of those Goober fans. Yeah, I got you. Super fan. I'm a super Mark. As a matter of you're fact. You're a stalker. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I meant to... <laughs> I meant to hold this up. If you're watching the video version, this is an autographed Mark Bo Richter jersey that he gave me. It's supposed to be in a frame right now, um, but I'm waiting on Mark to give me a couple eight by ten pictures that yeah, I think I, he forgot. I, I you forgot bring to bring. Yeah. yeah I um, no, I was actually preparing for the show today, and um, here's the here's how good of a friend I really am. I'm playing golf. Was that last week or the week before? Uh, and uh, Trent Green is literally on the team right behind me. And um, he comes up to me and he was like, yeah, I guess uh, you used to work at Q104. And I was like, yeah. And I kind of started talking about some of the things that we did with him, like the Florida Georgia line softball game. Do you remember that? Were you a part of that deal? I don't know if I was a part of that or not. Um, So he was, and he was like, oh yeah, I remember that. And I was like, as a matter of fact, you know, Mark is going to be coming in this year. I've known Mark for years. He's coming in to do the podcast with me. And he was like, oh, that's awesome. And I was like, you threw to Mark, right? Because, I mean, not to make you feel old, but I couldn't remember who you actually received <laughs> yeah, passes right, from. Right. And he was like, yeah, I actually threw a 99-yarder to him. I was like, oh, my God, that's right. I couldn't believe that. So as I'm sitting here and I'm kind of prepping for the show, I was like, there's got to be some audio somewhere on YouTube of that. And I was really wanting the Mitch Holtis version because yes. I'm a super, yep. super fan of Mitch Holtis. Of course, I'm a K-State guy. He's from K-State. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll settle for Chris Berman. We got the Chris. No, I, I haven't heard that one in a long time. Really? Yeah. You never just kind of geek out on your own stuff by like, go to well, YouTube no, and listen I, to it. I remember that audio, right. Of that happening. Um, cause I'm sure somewhere since it was 20 years ago this year, <laughs> That's uh, right. it exists on a DVD that was downloaded from a VHS, you know, <laughs> you know, type of thing. Right. Download's probably not even the right, right. word for it, but right. yes, yeah, um, transferred over to a DVD somewhere um, because it was a big deal because it was Chris Berman. Yeah, Boomer. And he always used Freaking to do boomer. the, like he did, Mark Bowerter from, and then Tom Jackson with, yeah. you know, Hastings, Hastings College. Yeah. yeah, and then he has a little CFL reference at the end, too. Absolutely. Which is great. Absolutely. Well, that was really fun to revisit that, and you're one of 12 wide receivers. I think he said nine. In it was nine thing. at the time. I think it's 13 total now. Oh, really? Possibly. Well, Wikipedia lied to me because it yeah. said 12. Maybe it is 12. It anyway. could be. Well, let's get this thing started, and let's start with your roots because we've got a lot to discuss. Obviously, we've known each other for a long time, but I kind of want to, you know, and, and there's going to be people who know you as Mark Bell Richter, the wide receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs right. back in the day, but do they really know you? 
Um, and so we're going to, uh, we're going to dive into it. So, um, originally from Hastings, Nebraska, you went to Hastings high school before attending Hastings college. You just could not find a way to get the hell out of Hastings. You just loved Hastings, the metropolis of Hastings. My, my I guess my burning question is, did you have any desire to play for the Huskers? Uh, were you a Huskers fan growing up? I, I'll say this. I was not like every other Nebraska kid who dreamt of playing for the Huskers. Why? Uh, number one, we moved to Hastings when I was in like fourth grade. Not that I'm still young. You're still right? young enough still to be young. influenced. Yeah. But, um, you know, my father was, my dad was the AD at Hastings College. So I grew up around Hastings College on Saturday afternoons at the football games. I was a ball boy all the way through, like, middle school at the games. So I was on the sidelines doing that, enjoyed it. Um, I was rooted for the Huskers, but I was not like every other boy that just, or kid that dreamt of, of you know, playing for the Huskers uh, on Saturday. It just, I don't know if I, part of it probably stemmed from the fact I'd never, I, sh- I shouldn't say this, but, just say or, it. No, it's a podcast. no, I'm saying no, I know. I'm saying I shouldn't say it this way. Okay. Not it's not that I'm not gonna say something I shouldn't, because I will later. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to put it that you know, I was a late bloomer in high school. Okay. 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 So I as a sophomore in high school, I was still five ten. Wow. So I think, you know, once you get to high school and start playing football, then you start thinking, okay, I want to go play for Nebraska, right? Type of thing if you're good enough. Okay. I just didn't see that being a path for me. And even after my senior year, uh, I played tight end in high school my senior year because I was the biggest wide receiver. So and we, our tight end had, la- had graduated the year before, so it was by default, which was fine. I was happy with that. And I got some letters because recruiting was different back then than it is now, of course. We'll get into that. Yes, completely different. And so I got some letters about walking out in Nebraska, but I wanted to go to a place that who I, could, was, who, I I just want to go play. Who was the coach then? Because At Nebraska, it was still Tom Osborne at the time. No, really? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He was still, when I graduated high school in 96, he was still the head coach. Okay. Yep. I was still thinking like yep. early 2000s, but that, yes. I keep forgetting yep. you went to the um, to the CFL for a couple yep. years. Okay. So when I, was, when I was coming out, he was still the head coach at Nebraska. So needless to say, Nebraska was still king dingling and doing very well. Correct, okay. correct. And I envisioned myself as a high school senior, if I walked on at Nebraska, which they had a very robust walk-on program, and a lot of kids from Nebraska walked on there. Right. Of red-shirting my first year, practicing for two or three years, right? And maybe by the time what would be my senior year of college or my fifth year, maybe playing a little bit or running down on special teams and playing in the Orange Bowl, right? <laughs> like that's – Yeah. I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to go play. Sure. And it wasn't – it was. I don't think it was a situation where I didn't think I belonged at that level. But I didn't know it either yet at that point. And so I looked at several top-level NAIA programs. Um, part of that also was there was a tuition remission program because of my father being employed at Hastings College for as long as he was. Nice. That I could go tuition-free uh, to some schools. kind of a big deal. Which is a big deal, especially when you're looking at private NAI institutions. Sure. And so I looked at Bethany in Kansas because they were really good at the time. Yep. Uh, the University of Sioux Falls had just won the national championship okay. for the NEIA. Looked there. Uh, looked at Northwestern College, which is my father's alma mater, um, and a school I liked. And then Hastings College. Those are kind of my final four. And 
Our coach at Hastings College at the time was Barney Cotton, who um, ended up leaving after my first year. Though He was there for two years, but ended up being an offensive coordinator at Nebraska and at Iowa State for a while later on after the fact. So, wow. Um, and I, I liked Hastings. So I moved. It just was a gut feel, right? But I made Hastings College as far away from home as possible. Like to tell you, <laughs> if I tell you this, I, and I know people use the term literally a lot, but I literally moved three blocks away from home to go to school. We lived three blocks away from the college campus growing up. Wow. But I lived in the dorms, and I had a full college experience. Good. Um, if you were to ask my parents, I obviously saw my dad around the athletic department and things like that, but sure. um, people used to always ask my mom, like, it must be great. Mark must come home all the time, do laundry. Nope. Never went home. Never went home. I wanted to have a true, true experience. The only true college experience I didn't have was ever having like a fake ID. Okay. Cause when you go to college in your hometown, yeah. okay. Everybody knows who you are. Yeah. When you go to Murphy's wagon wheel on Friday or Saturday mm-hmm. night and walk in at seven, eight o'clock, half of my friend's parents are there. Right. Like, cause it's a town of 23,000 people. So they're gonna be like, what, what are you doing in here? Um, so that portion of it was about the only portion of a, of a co- true college experience I didn't have. Probably saved your ass too. Oh, it, it certainly kept me out of trouble. Yes. Yeah. Yes, for sure. That's but awesome. that's how that's how I ended up at Hastings. And you know, I don't regret the decision. It was a great decision for me at the time and then, you know, excelled on the football field there and then obviously the opportunities came after that. Did you so did, did you have any loyalty to it? You talked about moving to Hastings when you were in the 4th grade? Yeah. So did you have a favorite team with sports even that big of a deal to you at that age to where you were passionate about a certain collegiate team? Um, not necessarily a collegiate team. I was yeah, again, I watched the Huskers. I rooted for the Huskers because uh, all my friends were Husker fans. Yeah. Um, but from a collegiate side of things, not really. Uh, I was just a fan of all sports. Gotcha. So I was a baseball kid. I was a football mm-hmm. kid. I was a basketball kid. You know, I quit basketball as a sophomore in high school. As I mentioned, I was only 5'10". We had like two or three other guards that were really good. And I did again, envisioned myself being the senior coming off the bench and hitting a couple threes down, you know, 15 points, at the, you know, or up 15 points at the end of the game. And the crowd goes wild, you know, student section. Yeah. I didn't want to do that either. So, you know, I walked away from basketball as a sophomore, uh, which is fine. I played baseball and, and football. So I was, just a, I was just a sports nut and a sports freak. Now, from a professional fo- football standpoint, this is going to ruffle a lot of Chiefs fans the wrong way. I was more of a Broncos fan oh because boy. before we moved to Hastings, we were in Alamosa, Colorado. My dad was the head basketball coach and athletic director at Adam State. Huh. And that was back in the day, obviously, at John Elway, but that was the three amigos. Sure. Um, those receivers, they were good back then. They'd gone a couple Super Bowls in the late 80s, yeah. um, early 80, mid-80s. Uh, never won one, of course, but they were good. And yeah. so... I grew up in the backyard listening to the Broncos game on the radio, playing football with my dad or baseball in the backyard in the fall. So I was much more of a Broncos fan initially. Um, But it was also great living in Hastings because just like you sit here in Kansas City, we always got the Chiefs games regionally. And they were usually the early game. And you always got the Broncos game second because it's more on a regional side of things. So you got to see both for sure. Wow. Interesting. Well, this interview's done. Mark Borichter is a Broncos fan. <laughs> Everybody's just turned it Pack off. Pack it up. Pack it up. I'm just kidding. Um, well, that's really cool. Um, so two years you spent in the CFL with Calgary. Yep. You had lots of options to join a number of different teams in the NFL. 
um, when I was doing my research, I came across a piece where you were talking about, you kind of got to have your pick of the litter Mm -hmm. basically. Um, so well, I guess now being what you just told me, did you get an offer from Denver? I did. Yeah. They were one of the teams. And you still picked Nick Vermeil in the Kansas city chiefs. I did. So I was in a unique situation. Um, you know, went to the CFL, was able to prove to myself that I could play, had a lot of success there, got into a great situation. And after year two, we won the Grey Cup. And at that point, I had, you know, 20-some NFL teams that were very interested in me. And the blueprint before coming from the CFL to the NFL was, you know, if you had five, six teams, you know, that were interested in you, you'd go work out for those teams, you know, and then look what offers were there. Well, it got to the point where I'm like, I'm not going to go work out for 20 some teams. That's a lot of trips, (laughs) right? In two months that I got to take. Right. And so my agent and I came up with the idea, I'm going to have my own personal combine and private workout. And so I was living in Calgary at the time. He was living in uh, Salt Lake city um, because the winter Olympics were there in 2002 and his wife worked for the U S Olympic committee. And so I had a private workout at the university of Utah. And the idea was, we're going to see who the pretenders and contenders are. Who's going to send people here? Mm-hmm. And I had about 18, 19, 20 teams there. Um, and some high-ranking folks, too. Not just your regional scout, area scout, et cetera. We and had they, GMs and... and the, uh, so there was other players, obviously. That, no, this, from a player standpoint, I only brought my quarterback from, from, okay. from Calgary. So just okay. he and I. So okay, gotcha. just coming to watch me run, basically. Gotcha. <laughs> right? Wow, that's awesome. Out. And so after that... Um, you know, I started fielding offers, and it was pretty apparent at that point I was going to get more than what I thought for a signing bonus. So then it became about the money, right? Naturally. Naturally. And then it became a situation where at about five or six teams, they were all kind of about the same aspect from a signing bonus. So Denver was one of those, Kansas City, Indianapolis, Atlanta, and Green Bay. Um, and so in looking at it, I said, okay, I'm going to travel with those teams. And and not work out for those teams, but really get a feel of what the offense looks like, how I feel I'd fit in there, what the opportunity looks like for me. And it got to a point where Denver just wasn't going to be an option for me. Um, they, they, It still was an option, but from a monetary side of things, it was not the same. Okay. Um, so Kansas City was good. Indianapolis was great. I actually turned down more money from Indianapolis to come here. Wow. Significantly? So, uh, Well... For that side of things, yeah. Okay. So, you know, close to, I don't know, twenty five, fifty thousand. Okay. That's a big there. deal. Yeah. yeah. Um, which some people look, you know, looking back on it, you're like, man, you're, you were freaking nuts. Like Peyton Manning, right? But that was 2002. He was still, right. yeah. You know, he was obviously great then. Yeah. Um, Brett Favre was in Green Bay and Michael Vick was in Atlanta. And I sat down in Atlanta and said, okay, I want to watch the film. And they sat, there and just touted Michael Vick and touted Michael Vick as it was right after his rookie year and how phenomenally athletic he was in his arm, which was great. But I also sat there and looked at a couple of the plays and said, okay, well, where's his first read on this? Like over here. And he missed two of his reads. Now he rolled out to his left and threw a 60 yard bullet on a, you know, yeah. Absolute rope. Or he scrambled for. Yeah. And so, you know, that was certainly an option for me, What it came down to, it was the best opportunity. So, Indianapolis um, had just drafted Reggie Wayne first round the year before. They had Marvin Harrison. Jerome Payton was their slot receiver who they made no – he was a free agent, but they wanted him back. They had two tight ends they used a lot. 
And I looked at Kansas City and said, okay, you got a good quarterback in Trent Green. Um, Snoop Minnis had just been drafted the year before. Sylvester Morris had tore his ACL the year before. Eddie Kennison had just gotten here for like the last four games of the year in 2001. Dante Hall was here, but he was not Dante Hall yep. yet. And I said, this is a great opportunity for me to just get on the field. Yeah. And so that's why I chose here. And I don't have any regrets at all about Good. my career path. Good. On that side of things. And it all worked out. Yeah. Well, we're glad you landed here. Yeah. Was it, uh, were you get it, like, were you vetted by Dick or was it just Carl Peterson or how did that work? Um, yeah, coach for Mill, Carl Peterson, Charlie Joyner, the receivers coach, Lynn Styles was also the VP of pro personnel at the time, mm-hmm. um, on that side of things. And so my question, I guess, then knowing that is were they basically saying, look, we're, we're, we want you, but we envision you as a special teams guy or a third down guy or a slot guy. Like what, what was, what was that conversation like? That conversation was, we want you as a wide receiver. Wow. Really? But knowing I knew I was probably going to have to play special teams, too. Uh-huh. Yeah, type of thing. And you did. Yeah, I played a lot of special teams. And that was, you know, I came on the scene, had a great year in 2002, right? Everybody knows, as you mentioned, you know, the 99-yard touchdowns, mm-hmm. my claim to fame, which can never be broken. And that Right. You can just so, be tied. And that was yeah. your rookie year. Yeah, that was my rookie year. I had eight touchdowns my rookie year on, like, I don't know, 20-some catches. Mm-hmm. Burst onto the scene. Um, and, you know, they also had signed Johnny Morton in 2002 as a That's free agent. That's right. After I had signed on stuff. Forgot about that. And I really outproduced him in 02. So I came in 03 going, okay, I'm going to start. And didn't really handle it well when I didn't start. I think I led the team in receiving in the preseason that year. Had a great camp. And a lot of guys will say this. Came in the best shape of your life, you know, type of thing. But I yep. truly was feeling the best I could feel. Um was I in the complete best shape I've ever been in? I don't know, right? Type of thing, because it's a cliche in sports. Sure. Like, oh, he's in the best shape of yeah, his life. right. But I felt as confident. Let's put it that way. I felt as confident as I could. Yeah. And I certainly earned the starting spot. And I didn't start. And Did they give you a reason? Not at the time. And I didn't handle it well early on. Um, it got in my head a little bit. And then finally a few weeks into the season, I sat down with our receivers coach and talked about it, who's Charlie Joyner's Hall of Famer. And he said, Bo, he said, listen, he goes, you know, every single wide receiver position, you know, every single tight end route, we are confident in putting you anywhere. You are more valuable to us as the backup guy because you can play every position than if we started you. And that, that hit home for me because I wish somebody just would have told me that at the beginning of the year. Yeah. But that's not how we operated as an organization then. And you see that a lot in professional sports where guys just want to, you just want to be told where you stand. Yeah, just shoot me straight. Because if you'd have told me that at the beginning of the year, I said, okay. I may not have been happy about it, mm-hmm. but I'd have understood what my role was. Did you ever play tight end? Did you, were you ever in a tight no, end No, but when I got here in 02, the entire offseason, Tony Gonzalez was holding out for a new contract. That's right. So I came into a great situation here in the offseason because Jason Dunn was another tight end, Billy Baber, but I was a big, fast, physical wide receiver uh, obviously, it was faster than Tony G, but more athletic than those other guys were. So, yeah. during the offseason, there were a lot of routes that I ran that Gonzalez ran all the time. Okay. So, it immersed me into the entire offense, yep. right? Not just one position focusing on this. And that's where I was able to show a lot of my skills in the offseason that year. And I, I think that's 
you know, that's what really parlayed me into playing, um, you know, my rookie year on stuff. And then I took special teams seriously, too. I knew that was the way for me to get on the field. Yeah. Um, and just keep contributing that way and an opportunity. And I ended up starting games in 03 when we had guys hurt. But early on, again, if I just would have known that ahead of time, I think mentally I would have been in a better spot because then I wouldn't be pressing every time I got in the game. Yeah. You know, you understood, like, I just got to go sure. make a play as opposed to you start pressing going, okay, I got to make a play. I got to catch this ball. and I got to do something spectacular with it as opposed to just making the actual play. So I understand the competitive nature between, you know, with yourself, like sometimes as athletes, you're, you're competing for a spot with other people on your team, but ultimately you're competing with yourself. Right. Is it fair to say that when you get to that level and, and being the person that you are, that was as valuable to the team, knowing that you, you could play every position, the receiver position is, is starting really overrated I mean, uh, looking back on it now, yeah, do, do you no, think, think when you so. say like, man, I think that, so okay. I think so, because I think here's the thing, this, this stems, this goes back to any sport. Okay. Any team, any age outside of like, maybe, you know, use soccer when you first put your kids in soccer, when you start pay, playing any kind of competitive sport at all, it's hard for you to understand what your role is on the team. And probably more so as you start getting into high school, junior high, et cetera. Because yeah. at that point, you're still young. You're still extremely immature. Your brain's still developing. You don't truly understand, you know, what it takes or you want to play all the time. You want to play more. Yeah. And it's hard for you to understand that there are roles on a team that have to be played. And sometimes your role, you see this in college sports now, whether it's basketball, Sometimes some of the be- times the best player is the sixth guy off the bench yes. in basketball. Yeah. Why? Because he's an energy player or that's, that's what actually, that's how he can be the most successful he or she can be. And so mm-hmm. it's, I think the mental struggle of it is, is because you want to start and you want to play, but you also have to understand what your role is. And I think if you embrace that role and understand what it is, and coaches are honest with you about what that role is, then it's on you to choose to accept it or not. You can pout about it then. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, okay, this is going to be my role. So looking back, yeah, starting was overrated. I mean, I played enough, right? You want to play all the plays. Yeah. You're going to get more opportunities to get the ball in your hand, I mean, all that kind of stuff. That's natural. That's natural. As a Chiefs fan, me watching, I saw Mark Borichter on the field a lot, but I was yeah. never paying attention on whether or not he started or not. Right. Right. So at the end of the day. You're the only one who cared about that. Yeah, at the end of the day. And maybe there's some bonuses attached to it too, right? Game start, oh, I'm sure. Things like that. But sure. At the end of the day with it all, if you understood what your role was, it's, it's, you know, it brings everybody together and you can become a better team that way. Yeah. That's why I think it's, especially now these days with the way you sports are and everything else, you have to be honest with kids. You have to be honest with players uh, on where they stand. Mm-hmm. Now, some will go in the tank <laughs> because they don't accept it or they've got a bad attitude or things like that happen. But most of the time, you're going to get more production and better play out of those individuals, and it, which ultimately helps your team. So I think that's the thing. You know, I was really disappointed. Part of it, I think, was for me in 03, I was the Eagles flying a little high. You came in, you had eight touchdowns. You outproduced a guy that's getting paid $5 million bucks a year. You're like, all right, this is yeah. – I'm in the NFL now. Yeah. I'm competing. Sure. I'm excelling here. Give me my shot. Yeah. Fascinating. So 
talk about the 99 yard reception if you can. I mean, uh, we've obviously have talked about the 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 rookie season being a highlight crazy awesome year for you but that included that 99 yard TD reception. What memory do you have that is significant from that play? Um, and in addition to that, many maybe a couple other uh, memories from playing with the Chiefs. Well, I think with that play in particular, if I go to the end of the play, okay, score a touchdown, get to the sideline, I didn't realize how long it was, okay? I you did, didn't know you were play, on the one yard? Well, not, well I did, well, yes, but you don't realize the when you're significance in the play. of it or yeah. whatever. Sure. So I get to the sideline and hear the announcer say that's the longest – touchdown in Chiefs history and the NFL. Yeah. And then people are like congratulating you're like kind of start sinking in like holy shit, I just set a record. <laughs> right? <laughs> Franchise record but also an NFL record. Like, wow. Uh-huh. But this play doesn't happen. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I want okay. to break down the play yes. cuz I've so watched play, that play over and over and over again. This is the thing that people don't remember that I do, okay? Is that we were actually on the 2-yard line to start the drive. And Omar Easy was our fullback. At the time. And I don't know if T. Rich was out or what happened. Yeah. Or why. But Omar Easy's playing. And T. Rich might have just been off for that series. I don't know. I think I don't think he was hurt, but it was toward the end of the year in 02. It was. And I think you were like 7-7 seven and seven at the time yeah. that you were playing and that so game. And so we might have just, because we are down at the goal line, Omar Easy might be getting some reps. Um, but we're at the, the two-yard line, and we go on a hard count down there, basically on two, to try to get defense offside so we can get ourselves an extra five yards of breathing room. Well, Omar Easy fall starts in the backfield. They'll fall yep. back. So we back up a yard. Same play call, by the way. Okay. Um, act 822 special, and I'm the lone wide receiver out to the left. We've got two tight ends on the right with Jason Dunn and, and Tony Gonzalez kind of at a wing position for him. And it's a play-action pass, and I'm running a post route over the top to kind of clear out everything. And we're running a shallow drag with Jason Dunn across the middle, and Tony's about 10 to 15 yards on a deep cross. So really, I'm I'm the alert. I'm the alert. And so, but when I say alert, is hey, if we get a certain coverage, or the safety's really crashed down, you know, take a shot deep. Gotcha. But the the reality of the situation is the play. We're trying to throw the ball in the intermediate side of things to Gonzalez because you're trying to get the linebackers to suck up with the play action. Yep. Throw it over the top to him. So I run my route, beat the corner, and I get behind the safety. Yep. And Rodney Harrison, it's a it's a you know, cover four type of look. So it's a four deep, two safety look. But Rodney Harrison at the far safety crashes over the top um, of Tony Gonzalez instead of staying deep. Yep. And so I get behind Rodgers Beckett, and there's no safety on the other side of the field. So I continue my route, and Trent steps up in the pocket, sees it, throws it to mm-hmm. me, catch it, the rest is history. Yeah. But the thing that people don't – that normal – I say normal fans, but the casual fan – Always talks to me about the record is oh, 99 yarder was great. I'm like is that close to being 98. We're this close to being 98, which is still a franchise record. Okay, would still sure. be an, uh, a yeah. Kansas City. Well, Tyreek just got a 98 or this last year, didn't he? No, he was at or, 90. It wasn't quite 98. Yeah. I thought he had a 98 or that was it this year or the year. Anyway, I digress. Go ahead. But it would have, you know, it would have been a, you know, uh, still a franchise record, but not an NFL record. Right. So, right. The reality of the situation is we should probably think Trent and I should be thanking Omar Easy for, for false starting, for sure. I just love the fact that Rodney Harrison is a big reason for why that, that because yeah. he's a Hall of Famer. He's a Hall of Famer, isn't he? Uh, or I don't know if maybe he's, he's not a Hall of Famer. Well, he's obviously very well known from his days in San Diego, and then he played with um, the Patriots for a little bit, finished yep, his career. Yep, that's exactly. Won some Super Bowls there. 
obviously he's done sports on NBC, very well known. Man, I thought for I thought he was a Hall of Famer, but I guess I might be wrong. Anyway, um, but that's for me. And plus, he's such a loud mouth. Golly, that guy's a loud. He's mouth. also one of the dirtiest players that ever played during. My I've heard that. Too. I've he, heard he that. He took a lot of cheap shots on sidelines and guys stuff too. Did he ever get one on you? I'm sure he probably did. You just don't remember it. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Uh, okay, so after playing in Kansas City from 2002 to 2005, you signed with Green Bay. You spent a little bit of time there. Um, I'm sure you don't want to get into that a whole lot, but it, it is interesting just from the standpoint that a Hall of, Fame for, Hall of Famer for sure you got to play with and catch some passes from was Brett Favre. What do you remember about that experience? Uh, it was good. I signed there as an unrestricted free agent and thought I was going to have a pretty good opportunity there. Can we? Um, can I ask you something real yeah. quick, though? I didn't think about to ask you this. Was I mean the Kansas City because you had injured your knee? Didn't you blow out your knee, or was yeah? That, so you so well, we why about, why not we, coming back to Kansas City? Well, we talked about 03, right? And oh four in the preseason. So I was considering oh four a rebound year for me, right? as I talked about struggling through two thousand three. Mm-hmm. Refocused, understanding what my role is going to be, and I think it was the second preseason game. Uh, here at home, I'm mm-hmm. running a route. Trent throws me the ball, gets tipped to the line of scrimmage. I plant my foot to kind of come back because I'm about 10, 12 yards. The ball's going to land at like five yards. There's nobody within five, 10 yards of me. Knee buckles go down a heap toward the ACL. So mm-hmm. I'm out for the year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 2004 was a wash. And then 2005, I was still coming back from the knee injury a little bit. Was inactive on a couple game days, things, but still had an okay season. Yeah. And at that point, you know, my mentality was, okay, there are 31 other teams in the NFL. I've established myself enough that I'm going to be wanted. Mm-hmm. I know I'm not going to get some major deal or anything. I'm going to have to go prove it. Uh, so I took a visit to Tampa Bay and got offered a contract, basically the veteran minimum contract. Said I'm still going to look around. Green Bay called, uh, offered a decent signing bonus for where I was at with things. And I looked at it and said, okay, it's Brett Favre. And Green Bay wanted me previously three, four years ago. Uh, Indianapolis was also interested at that point. Um, so I decided to go to Green Bay. Aaron Rodgers, was he oh, yeah. drafted so, yet? Yeah, so okay. I, I, love, I was getting to this. Okay, not sorry. Only, not only, <laughs> no, you're good. But not only that Brett Favre was there, but this would have been Aaron Rodgers' second year in Green Bay. Okay. Okay. So I caught a lot of passes from, from Brett Favre in practice, more so during training camp and the preseason because he wasn't around for most of the offseason stuff. Uh, Mike McCarthy was the first year head coach that year in Green Bay. Okay, Aaron Rodgers second year, so I caught a lot of lot of lot of footballs from Aaron Rodgers in practice, and I caught a couple in a game from a preseason game. Um, I can tell you this: that when I was there in '06, you knew Aaron Rodgers had it. Game recognizes game, right? Like you could tell, like he's the real deal. Really? Yeah, he was that good. Um, and Brett Favre was awesome. So my best Brett Favre story is: I mean, he's got a million of them. That he's that he has over his days with, you know, all the struggles <laughs> he had with substance abuse and different things. But yeah, I'm running around in practice one night, like a, a hook route, like 15 yards. And Brett probably should have thrown the ball somewhere else, but he throws it to me. And he throws it about, I would say, 12 feet in the air, okay, over my head. Me trying to make the team go up to try to make the catch up high. Okay, and it's about 11, 12 feet. I can jump 
you know, I can touch a rim, basketball rim, which is 10 foot. I can get up that high to catch a pass. This one just goes off my finger, okay, at the top. And it hurt <laughs> because I didn't catch it. <laughs> right? Like, basically hyperextended my finger, kick it back. Uh, and I know some. I've jammed a lot of fingers as a wide receiver, broken yeah. a lot of fingers, dislocated some. Sure. This one's messed up. Uh. So I have to get an x-ray after, the, after practice. And I have a hairline fracture in my finger. Which but finger is it? I can't remember which one at this point. But so Favre walks into the x-ray room, okay, because every NFL facility has their own x-ray stuff right on, on site. And walks in because the locker room's at the stadium there uh, for Green Bay. And he walks in, and he's talking to um, you know the trader and says, well, what's it look like? I was like, well, it's a little crack. And, I, and he goes, fuck. He's like, I'm getting old. I used to shatter those things. <laughs> and turns around and walks out. And I about fell off the table laughing, right? Because I'm, I'm going to go practice. There's only so much I can do with this, right, with this finger. And it's, that, that quote is actually in a book called Gunslinger by Jeff Perlman, who's a great author, sports author, biographer. And I talked to him like in 2011 or 12 on some Favre stories, and that's actually in the book, and it's a true story. Oh, really? It's an absolute true story of what happened, yeah. Wow, but that, that just is tells, super he was such cool. a great dude. Favre was a great guy. Um, okay, so then was Aaron Rodgers as cocky then as he? Oh, he was cocky then, but I think he, it was just a strange cat. Well, yeah, I don't, I didn't see this whole thing coming. Okay, in terms of being the way he is now, yeah, but people evolve, you know, this in sure. different ways and their beliefs on stuff. But yeah, I, he was a very confident guy, and I think he, you know, was just waiting for his opportunity, and obviously it came a year later. So that was my time in Green Bay. Yep. Then I ended at Indy. Yep. So I got cut in the Peyton's there then, right? Yeah. Now I got cut about ten o'clock in the morning. Um after a preseason game. And it's the first time I've been cut in my life from anything. Um knew it's a part of the business. Sure. But um, you know, my ex wife, who was my wife at the time, and my daughter had just gotten to Green Bay and don't know anybody. They came for that preseason game. And by 5 o'clock, my agent's like, I got you a job in Indy. You'll be on a flight out of Green Bay tomorrow at 6 a.m. Wow. So, you know, my wife at the time, obviously, and my daughter, who was, what, two, Mm. are in Green Bay. Well, I got to go to Indy for the next two weeks for training camp. Uh, So that's the life of a professional athlete that a lot of people don't see. And so I went to Indianapolis, was there uh, through the last two preseason games. And not a lot of people know this, but if in the NFL, if you're a vested veteran, so you got four years of service and credit seasons, if you make the opening day roster, your salary is guaranteed for the year. Mm. So you'll see a lot of veteran guys get cut that last week, and then all of a sudden they show up on a roster a week or two later, okay. right? Because, you know, you're kind of the 53rd, 52nd guy on the roster, and, you know, they can cut you at some point, but they still want you there. Okay. And I got, I went up for a pass in the last preseason game and hit my head on the turf and had a slight concussion. Uh, I so I got that. released. Um, and they talked about bringing me back to play special teams mainly. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the first two weeks of the season. Now, a lot, mind you, a lot of teams tell guys this too, okay? Veteran guys, like, hey, we want you back, stay in shape. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple of weeks will probably call you to bring you back. In a lot of cases, it's not true. <laughs> okay. But in some cases, it is true. Because it means you're, you know, probably 56, 57 in the roster cut type of thing, and you might be the guy that comes in as a backup. Yeah. If a guy gets hurt. Well, 
Indianapolis had like two defensive backs get hurt in like the first two weeks of the season. I'm like, well, I'm not coming back to play special teams now. Like, there's no way because they got to replace those guys. Yeah. So that's how it all happened. Then I ended up back in Canada. Gotcha. Gotcha. But yeah. I guess I caught pass. It's been, it was a nice run of quarterbacks from Trent Green. Yeah. Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers in practice, and then Peyton Manning in practice. I mean, not bad. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's yes. awesome. Did you get get? Were you there long enough to form a relationship with any of those guys, where you can kind of well, stay in touch with them today? Not really. Um, Obviously, Trent. He yeah, probably yeah, Trent on stuff, especially because he's here in Kansas City. But no, I'll tell a Peyton Manning story quick. So okay, everybody sees Peyton Manning, the jokester on TV, right? Different things. He's really that way in person, also. Okay. So I get to Indy, and we have to go to Jackson, Mississippi to play the Saints in a preseason game because the Saints had been in Jackson, Mississippi for training camp the year for whatever reason. That would have been 06. I bet they were up there because probably still from Hurricane Katrina and all that stuff. Yeah. Because that was 2005-ish, wasn't it? I think that that happened. I think yeah, you're right. somewhere in there. So they're in Jackson, Mississippi for training camp, so we go there. I've been in Indy for like three days, okay, three days. And you're put up in a hotel, right? I've practiced for two. Really only know the base of the offense. And I know I'm going to be playing a ton of special teams in the preseason game, which is fine. Yep. So you charter the plane down to to Jackson, Mississippi. I go out to dinner that night with Peyton Manning, Ryan Deem, who was uh, their left tackle, Ryan Lilja, Mm -hmm. um, who was with us in Kansas City, who we never should have cut, by the way. Uh, Obviously had a really nice career in Indy. Um, I think he also played at Kansas yeah, he State. Yeah, also played at Kansas Just State. Just got to throw yeah, that in there. Local guys, well. Emal. All right, go ahead. With a few of those guys, uh, play a little credit card roulette. You know, at the dinner, um, I did not lose, which is good. <laughs> but Peyton was there with us, and so um, we play the game. We get on the flight home. Okay, charter flight back to Indy. You know, you get back at it was an evening game, so we get back at you know one o'clock in the morning, something like that. And Peyton gets on the loudspeaker or the overhead deal on the plane. Yeah. And gives a schedule of tomorrow's events, basically. So, okay. all right, hey, guys, reminder, you know, sleep in tomorrow, rundowns at 10, weights, et cetera, blah, 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 get your treatment. Bullrick are staying in room 323. His fridge is full of beer for you guys staying at the hotel. Feel free to stop over after when you guys get back to the hotel. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, he yeah. knew the room I was in and everything. Okay. Like, as a complete prank. So, guys are showing up. <laughs> all these rookies and other guys are showing up at my door after we get back off the plane. Like, hey, you know, Peyton said you got beers and hosted us. I'm like, I don't have any stuff in my room. <laughs> don't they do that to rookies? Yeah. And why did he like, do that to just, you? Okay. I'm telling you, he did this kind of stuff to vets all the time, too, oh, right? It so was funny. just, it was one of those things. I was like, you got to be shitting me. Yeah. <laughs> What did he say after that? Nothing. Nothing, nothing really. Just, just kind of laughed, laughed about yeah, it. Just laughed it off for sure. All right, we're going to go to break here in just a little bit, but before we do, let's talk about how you've now. Um, well, before I say this, let me just also say that later in the show, we're going to be talking about the transition from pro life to regular, just everyday Joe Schmo life. But you are now in the broadcast booth as an analyst, doing mm-hmm. a variety of different things, and even doing some. Uh, in studio stuff on Sports Radio 810. I think I hear you on. Uh, is it Chiefs Game Day that you're doing with Sarim Petro? Yeah. And- so the 
Central Bank give the uh, Central Bank pregame show. Pregame show, yes. right, right. And then okay. I know you kind of come in with the Border Patrol yep. once a week, and, and I just I love that station. I love what they're about. I love um, you know Nate and and Stephen always support the Heartland Premier. I get to go in once a year with them and and promote that. Um, but anyway, I so I listen to the station whenever I'm in the truck, and you know this because I'll text you. I'll be like, yeah. man, I'm listening yeah. to you. You're sounding great. Um, so kind of talk about that and, and how did that all come about where you started doing broadcasting? Well, you know, I watched any football game from a different lens than the casual fan, right? Having played it. Right. And uh, as I talked about before, of understanding the entire offense and knowing things, I've always been a student of the game. I've always, and my dad would always tell me, say to people growing up, like, there are people that play the game and Mark feels the game type of thing. And I would agree with that. I was, I was always a studious player and wanted to know everything that was going on, not just what my role was and position. So after I, quote, retired from football, uh, sold a little radio with you for a little bit. and That's right. Then left uh, for another opportunity for about four or five years. And in 2000, so I retired from football in 2008. And I'd been approached several times about doing some things here, you know, contributing. But at the time, you know, there was a lot of people that encouraged me to do it, but I didn't know if I really wanted to do it or not, or whether I'd be any good. I think maybe a part of it was the fear of, Owen. Oh, yeah, your lack like, of confidence. Yeah, or or not necessarily lack of confidence, because I knew what I was talking about, right? But yeah, it's whether... But you're doing it on a stage You're now. doing it on a stage. Yeah, it's different. It's different. Yeah. Um, and so... In two thousand, and, and I had a relationship with Sports Radio Eight Ten, and had done a few things previous with them also. Mm-hmm. And in two thousand twelve, Saran had taken over. Two thousand eleven, I think it was, took over the pregame show there. Yep. And at the time, they were a partner of the Chiefs as an official sports radio yep. station or whatever. Yep. And approached me and said, "Hey, would you want to do this pregame show on Sunday mornings with us?" And at the time, not to drop in another K State folk for you, but Nick yeah. Lecky. Who's also, awesome. Yeah, and Lecky's a great dude. Lecky and I kind of split time the first couple of years with it, um, kind of off and on every other week. Mm-hmm. And so that was 2012. And so I've been doing that pregame show now by my, I say by myself, but as this, kind of the sole analyst of it yeah. for the last 10 years. Wow. Nine years, I didn't realize it was that probably. long. Yeah. I, That's awesome. So 2012, yeah, I was thinking about this last year, right? It was my 10th year of doing that show, and it doesn't feel... Like it's been that long, um, but it's been great. It's kept me, you know, involved in the game. Yeah, uh, I enjoy doing it. Seren is fantastic. He Curtis is, is fantastic. Yep, we have great chemistry with it, and um, I've just really, really enjoyed it. And then, you know, around the same time, in about 2013 or 14, um, you know, I've been a, a periodic guest on other shows over there on yeah. the football analyst side of things. Yeah. And started doing a weekly spot with with Stephen and Nate. Yep. And so that's continued. The times have varied over the years as to when I'm on and different sure. things but uh, with my schedule. But every week during the football season, I'm on at least with them. And usually it's on like a Tuesday. So do the pregame show Sunday. Do that on Tuesday. And then you mentioned in the broadcast booth, I've done a lot of college games at the NAI and Division II level mm-hmm. uh, as a color analyst on TV. And... You know, some of that came to a screeching halt in 2020 with the pandemic, yeah. Uh, of course, and broadcasting has changed since then dramatically with the travel and being able to call games from the basement of your house. Sure, you know on things. Um, 
but I've, I've kind of shifted my focus on that just from a timing perspective to do high school football games on Friday nights now here in town, which I thoroughly enjoy. It's local. Um, you know, the ability to, I've called some games from Oklahoma here in town at a state at LTN studios up North in Liberty. Uh, again, the magic of broadcasting in a studio, you can call a game. Yep. Uh, yep. It's a little different as a color analyst, not being able to see it in person. Yeah. But, um, that's how things are done now, but everything's live for us here locally. Um, cause you know, even right before the pandemic in 2019, I had a couple situations where I worked an NCAA division two national college game of the week on Thursday, came back to Kansas city, worked a, a Friday night high school game and then did a heart of America NAI game on Saturday. Then did the pregame show on Sunday, <laughs> a true broadcaster. Yeah. Weekend. Yeah. Uh, which is great, but at the same time, it's like taking away, you know, coaching my son's baseball team or, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's been nice, actually, the last couple of years to just focus on Friday nights, at least right now. I mean, I'm certainly open to doing other gigs. Don't yeah, get yeah, wrong, yeah. But, but it's been it's been a fun ride. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I really enjoy it a lot more than I ever thought I would. Well, you and I've told you this before um, in my text messages to you, not that you didn't sound good when you first started doing it, but I can see you evolving each year, just getting better and better and better and better. So I, I need to go back to the original ones. We're like, man, you really suck. <laughs> no, I never ever no, thought I that. You ever said that? I never you. said that. I never said that. But I can say that you've gotten a lot better. All right. So coming up here in a little bit, Mark and I are going to discuss the transition and the struggles he faced after hanging up his cleats for the final time. But when we come back, we're going to discuss the 2022 Kansas City Chiefs. Lots of moves in the offseason, including the trade of Tyreek Hill. We'll even discuss a little college football as, I don't know, it's just gotten really weird with the whole NIL thing. I'd like to get Mark's perspective on that. Of course, NIL stands for Name Image Likeness. That's all coming up next on the all-new Papa Ron Podcast. The Papa Ron Podcast is brought to you by the award-winning Heartland Waterfowl, airing now on Sportsman's Channel. Check heartlandwaterfowl.com for airtimes. The all-new Season 9 debuts in July on Sportsman's Channel. And don't forget about the new original series on the Heartland Waterfowl YouTube channel. Check it out, and don't doubt the scout. Now, back to the Papa Ron Podcast. Here's Ronnie Phillips. Check out the home of the Papa Ron podcast at paparonradio.com. There you're going to find everything that is involved with this new venture of mine. Papa Ron Radio is more than just a podcast offering voiceovers for a variety of needs, along with commercial production, copywriting, MC services, and now radio station voice tracking, where I'm really excited to announce that the all-new Papa Ron Radio Show is coming to a country radio station in central Missouri very, very soon. I've been promoting that for about three weeks, and the people are probably thinking, this is BS. It's never going to happen. It really is. We're just getting a little, waiting for all the imaging elements to get done, and then we're going to get this thing underway. So you can find out about all of that and more at paparonradio.com. Back with Mark Bo Richter, old friend of mine and former wide receiver of the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's discuss Ty Tyreek Hill's trade because many fans, and I'll even have to admit at the time that it happened on the surface, I was a little confused. I wasn't confused in the fact that they traded him. I was confused on what they got for him. And a lot of people felt like that they gave up too much for the trade. What are your thoughts on the trade? Or or let me ask even better yet, what did you feel at the time of the trade versus what you feel now of the trade? Uh... Let's see. The I was a little surprised that they traded him. Okay, really. When I say a little, uh, because I think they were 
I know a lot's been made over the last couple of weeks now. We're going to get to that. Okay, We're going to get okay, to the okay, podcast. Okay, yeah. okay. So I, I think this, I, I, I believe that the Chiefs wanted to, to have Tyreek Hill here at the right price. And I don't think it was truly going to be a hometown discount. I think things changed in February when free agency hit or first of March. And the wide receiver market was completely reset with guys like Christian Kirk, who was a number three or four wide receiver in Arizona, going to Jacksonville and breaking the bank. Completely reset the market. And I think that the Chiefs were fairly close, or I feel like I don't have any inside information on this. This is my gut feel. When that happened, everything reset also with the negotiations. So at that point, though, too, I'm also looking at this going, okay, do you want to give Tyreek Hill, is he worth it? Number one, yes, 100%. The most explosive football player I've ever seen play on the field. 100%. In my generation. In person, at least, for me. Um, and so there comes a time with your salary cap and the future of your franchise that sometimes you have to let good players go. Mm-hmm. And at a time that it may hurt for a year or two, but three years from now, it was the best move for you. And they gave him and his agent the opportunity to look around. Uh, when I say that, because you have to have permission to seek a trade. You can't just go start talking to other teams because it's tampering, uh, in theory. Um, you have to have true permission. And they found a deal that worked for them in Miami. And then it's the two organizations coming together and, and, and deciding on compensation. Mm-hmm. And... When I saw what the compensation was back, I thought this was a really good trade for the Kansas City Chiefs. You did. Okay. Now, the initial thought would be like, that's a good haul back, but this is still Tyree Kill, the most explosive player in the National Football League right now. But I do believe that at the time then too, I thought it was I thought it was fair. I thought it was a fair compensation. Granted, there was a lot of draft picks. Yes. But for me, at on the surface again, I you know, you can't put it, it's how many draft picks was it total? Now, I mean, not total for the Chiefs, but they got from Miami. Was it? Yeah, four? Well, they got a, yeah, I can't remember. Off the top anyway, of my head, so my point that. is, is that not every not every draft pick is a home run, right? And so I'm thinking, okay, get some draft picks, but get a get a veteran, get a get another player, get a find a need, you know, defensive line, uh, secondary, whatever the case is, you know, case is, get somebody who's proved themselves in the league and get the the mm-hmm. trades there. And to get it off just for picks, I thought was just a huge gamble. But that's where I transition because I got this piece of information, and you've probably seen this. <clears throat> Obviously, Tyreek has had a lot of interesting things to say in a, and I don't know, I can't remember which podcast it is, and I'm not here to promote other people's podcasts that don't promote mine. <laughs> but uh, he, we can get into some of that stuff that he's talked about that, that really kind of speaks disparagingly against the Chiefs in Kansas City. Um, but I'd also like to read this, and this came from a vi- uh, what I would consider a reliable source, and it reads like this. Tyreek had an issue in Vegas at a hotel that isn't public that Rosenhaus got a hold of. There was a deal in place two weeks ago. This would have been two weeks prior to this whole ordeal happening with the trade. Uh, Two weeks ago that Hill wanted and the Chiefs offered. But Rosenhaus basically shot down the deal at the last minute. Once Devontae Adams signed, everything changed. 
Tyreek also has a heel issue that they think is going to be an Achilles at some point. So it was a medical, it was also medical, sorry. So it was also medical the Chiefs were worried about. The point that hits home though, Andy stuck his neck out twice to keep Tyreek Hill. This was the final straw. When they ripped up, that's when they ripped up the deal and wanted more money at the last minute. Veach shopped him after that. Heel also didn't go to Mahomes' wedding, which was a slap in the face to Patrick, and Patrick knew they were trying to trade him weeks ago. Pat was on board with it. This is coming from a person that I know personally who has a really close connection to the Kansas City Chiefs. Have you heard that story? I have not heard that story. You've never heard any of that? Not that part. Does any of that sound, have you heard any, maybe you haven't heard it in that capacity, but has any of, have you heard of any of that inside of that? I have not heard of anything inside of that. So what's your thoughts on hearing that? Well, I will, if there was an incident in Vegas is what I'm referring to. Okay. Okay. You said at the beginning of that. I have not heard anything of that. Not that I would either. Okay. Well, Vegas they, is where the the the, the, the bachelor pro, party was for Patrick gotcha, Mahomes. Gotcha. Okay. So Tyreek was at the bachelor party with okay. Patrick Mahomes, okay. but he didn't go to the wedding. Gotcha. There was an incident in Vegas, apparently. Gotcha. So I don't. I have not heard anything of that. But I will say this: like I talked about the Christian Kirk deal, the Devonte Adams deal changed it, right? That, right. That reset the market. And Rosenhaus is a is a controversial enough agent. Okay, on stuff, on things. Um, it's not a surprise that he came back all of a sudden and said, okay, wait a second, this deal, we're not doing this now, right? I'm going to go get more money for my guy. Mm-hmm. That's not a surprise. Um, and I know that, you know, Tyreek has said some things over the last couple of weeks and, and stuff. I think it's his own podcast. So part of it, is it his own podcast? I think part of it is. Yeah. So I think there's a big portion of it to me. That's it's about publicity, right? It's gotta be because it's also only June. Okay. And I also understand this, that, when you go to Miami and now you're two is you're going to be your starting quarterback, you're you're going to do some things to build him up, okay, right, and try to try to look at it because you just got done playing with Patrick Mahomes. I don't know. I think Skylar Thompson is going to beat him out. <laughs> there might be a possibility of that. Just FYI, I think but, Tua is overrated. I'm not saying Skylar's really going to start. No, but, but I'm saying what I'm saying is you're going to defend your quarterback, right? Yeah. When the reality of the situation is, is Tyreek Hill wants to be in Miami, and. You know, all things considered, the Chiefs did what they thought was best for their organization. To go back to your draft picks point and, and, and you know, your thoughts initially on getting a veteran, my question would be, what veteran on that Miami team do you want? Yeah. Okay? And second of all, this team needed to get younger, especially on defense. And how do you do that? You build through the draft. Mm-hmm. And, yes, it's a gamble because the draft is always a gamble. Yeah. But you need to find some cheaper talent on rookie contracts that can be starters for you over the next three to four years that you can control at a much less salary because you can't renegotiate a rookie deal until after their third year anyway. So you need some guys that can contribute at what I call the lower end of the pay scale, which is still seven fifty now for a minimum the minimum for a player. But you gotta find some guys there so you can you can fill in some other gaps. And I think that's why I think this was a good timing of this trade. It makes sense. I mean, I, mean, I did was... have somebody tell me, and I said, you know, Tyree Kill at South Beach. Oh, just wait. You know, I, is that, we, is that I really... said that the second I heard that that's where it's... That brings up another point. Here's the other thing I did not understand with this trade. Why did they give him the option? 
Why did like you've got the option to pick the Jets or the Dolphins? Who does that? Who does that? Why would why would you, if you're Brett Veach, give that guy the option when you were when it when it really based on what I saw, and I don't remember what it is now, but at the time it looked like the compensation for the Chiefs was actually a better deal with the Jets. Yeah, there's two ways to look at this. There's there's the ability to to give a guy a choice because the compensation's got to be close to being the same. Okay? Otherwise, you're not giving him the choice because you control it. If you're Brett Beach at that point, this is an extension. He wasn't going to be a free agent. This was going to be an extension. Yeah. So you still control him. And when I say control him, you control his contract and his rights. You can say, you can go look at the Jets all you want, but if I don't get the deal I'm looking for as a team in compensation right. back, <clears throat> I'm not doing that deal until they come up. So you either got to figure out and tell them to give you more, give me more. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, it's kind of a three-way conversation on that piece. Sure. But, you know, there's also leverage involved, too, right? If, if you're Tyree Kill, same thing I talked about before, leverage-wise, but I had leverage mm-hmm. with four or five different teams. Now, neither one of them really stepped up head, to, head over heels above the other. They yeah. all were at the, about the same level, so it made sense for me to pick the best spot. But if you're Tyree and going, hey, I wanna, I'd rather be in Miami than New York, because that's where I'm, that's what, you know, I got family there. I got all this stuff. I'd rather be down there. You're going to do everything you can leverage wise to squeeze that out. Miami climate versus the Jets or, or New York, yeah, New Jersey, whatever. Yeah, not just New whatever. York, it's the Jets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a difference. But it is also Tyreek Hill. And look, the guy has done, the last thing I want to do is badmouth the guy because he was amazing to watch. He was so, like, will probably be the most dynamic and most powerful football player I will have ever seen in my lifetime, honestly. I mean, the speed is just ridiculous. But, let I mean, let, can I just be honest? I mean, it's Tyreek Hill. We know we know that the guy's got... Uh, there's baggage there. There's baggage. There's baggage and, there. And I'll, I'll also defend him a little bit here, right? Because, like, obviously, a couple years ago, all the stuff came out, yeah. you know, and dealt with that. And then a lot of that that came out was not actually... The way it was reported on a little bit was not all the facts of everything, right? True. And on stuff. And when you're the public guy, obviously the scrutiny is going to be on you. Yep. And when you already come into the league with an incident that happened in college of a domestic nature, mm-hmm. people are going to jump to those conclusions. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, during his time here in Kansas City, you know, he was on the up and up, right? For what we know. Is what I'm saying, mm-hmm. and there weren't really any other problems. But do you think though that he was very closely babysitted? By oh, 100 percent. Yeah, there's 100 percent. 100 percent. So Which I hope there's that, a lot of that that goes on in the National Football League too. Oh, there's a lot of those guys. No, I, keep, I don't. You keep an extra eye on some of these guys. I don't doubt sure. it. I hope that for his sake, being in a place like South Beach, which I mean, you've been there, I've been there. It is, I mean, it is neon lights and party central and it's... There's look, stuff going on all There's the a time. lot of stuff going on. I mean, I hope that he is disciplined enough to keep his focus and perform well just for him. And I say that not because I'm trying to root for the Dolphins. I'm saying that because I, I respect the guy for what he did for the Chiefs yep. and what he's done as a player. I, I'm not looking for him to go down there and fail. As a matter of fact, I don't want that. I'm actually, I'm actually fearful for him that that could potentially happen. So I'm hoping that he'll have the same support system around him as he did here in Kansas City. Uh, obviously, the Chiefs have needed a facelift on defense. We saw that they 
tried to direct that during the draft with those additional draft picks that they got. What do you know about these rookies and what you think about how they might be able to contribute significantly going into their first year? Well, I think they addressed a lot of needs, first of all, in the first round, right? McDuffie, the corner, and then Carlotta just the defensive end. There was a two need positions, which I mentioned before. They need to get younger. That's a few positions. Those are two key positions on your defense nowadays, your pass rush and your, your secondary, to get younger. And so they address those. You get another receiver in Sky Moore, who, number one, let's just say this, you're, you don't replace Tyreek Hill, okay? You're not actually replacing him. You're trying to get production out of numerous guys that would equal what he is. Mm-hmm. So they made the move for Valdez Scantlin. They bring in Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, you know, some of these other draft picks uh, as a part of everything. I like where this draft head was. The draft is a crapshoot. It's a gamble. Mm-hmm. You're going to miss on guys. You're going to hit on some guys. You hit on guys in the fifth, sixth round that you didn't think you were going to hit on. right? Trey Smith is a perfect example last year, the guard. Now, he only slid because he had some medical issues. Uh, in college, but you hit on that guy. Uh, you hit on a Creed Humphrey. You hit on Nick Bolton, right? Two second-round picks mm-hmm. the year before. There were rookies that look like they're going to be part of a good young core. Those are the types of guys you got to hit on. Now, you're not going to hit every year like Brett Beach did last year, okay? That's, that's just not no. how it goes. No. Because you're dealing with human beings and injuries and everything else, distractions, all these things come into play. But – one of the things you can do is throw numbers at it, and if you get three or four of those guys to be starters for you, you're doing really, really well. So I like, I like where they're headed right now. Do you feel like, aside from the fact that the salary, sorry, the salary cap, um, you know, they were really up against it. They had to make some moves in order to clear some room to get the people that they want, especially when you're signing, you know, Patrick Mahomes to the contract that he's got. Mm-hmm. Um, Aside from that, do you feel do you feel like that because of some of the success that they had had with some of the veterans that they had had that maybe that there was starting to be how should I say it a, a, there needed to be a, a culture change and the reason I bring it up because the next topic I have here on my bullet point is Tyrone Matthew who was a great veteran he was a great football I mean he is a phenomenal football player but he's an odd he's an odd duck you know like he's an odd cat. Um, and he's also said some controversial things on Twitter. He's gotten on there and ruffled some feathers with Kansas City He's a fans. tweet and D-leader. Yes. The guy, like, he's like Donald Trump. You just need to, like, get away, get off of the thing. Um, do you feel like that there needed to be kind of a change? In, because I, and I'll, let me just bring up one other point. At that, in that Cincinnati game, did you notice the, the very odd heated discussion that was going on with Tyreek, and I think it was McCole Hardman, um, or something was going on the sideline there in the second half. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I just feel like that there was like, hey, these guys have felt success. They've come a long way. Maybe the players are now starting to get a little bit more overconfident or they have a better idea of what's supposed to be done or how, you know, what cult plays are needing to be called. And now they're starting to be this friction or some sort of cancer in the locker room. And I'm speculating. I'm just a fan. I've never never been in that locker room. Do you feel like the, the, the front office or maybe the, the coaching position, the coaches were thinking, hey, things are starting to unravel here a little bit. We need to change the culture. I don't think things are starting to unravel. I think it's natural for change to happen, and sometimes it needs to. Um, you know, in the Tyron Matthews situation, 
He was not good on the field last year. No, well, okay, he was not good. And I watch all the film because we talked about this. I do the pregame show stuff. Like I saw, I saw it. He he was not the same player last year. When I say that, I'm trying to speak for totally his overall career. Totally, totally. But the guy has come out publicly and said yeah. that he was distracted about his deal. Yeah, like really, you would think that would be an incentive for you to be playing better. It, it does, but as I told you before, like stuff like that wears on you mentally, right? And if you can't let it get into your head, and he clearly did, um, it, it happens. It does happen. Like in terms of the blow up on the sideline, I don't think that's a situation. That stuff happens all the time that you don't see. Um, it just so happened it was in the AFC Championship game. I'll just say this: this this team has been on a historic run. Nobody's hosted four straight AFC Championship games. It hasn't happened in the National Football League. That hosted four straight. You went to back-to-back Super Bowls. Had the opportunity to go to four straight Super Bowls, right? Really close and, mm-hmm. and both times. Mm-hmm. Um, it is so hard to win a championship. And, you know, I'll say this about Chiefs fans now. The expectations are clearly have been raised, right? After you won the Super Bowl, AFC Championship game the year before, you go back to the Super Bowl, and now it's like Super Bowl or bust, which is an okay attitude to have. Well, but we can't act like Patriots fans. Yeah, but, but this organization <laughs> took 50 years to win a Super Bowl. I'm right? joking. Yes, I'm joking. I know you are. But it's 50 years to be a Super Bowl, to win a Super Bowl. It is hard to do in professional sports. And so, you know, there does have to be a natural reset, mm-hmm. a rollover of talent, because, yes, the quarterback's the same. Yes, some of the playmakers are the same. But every single year, guys get older. Guys get a new deal somewhere else. You have new people that come in. You have to keep a culture, the culture itself. Your players have to lead. But it all starts with your head coach and establishing what that looks like and getting the buy-in from your veteran guys to show the other guys what that culture looks like. Mm-hmm. And not that Tyreek or Tyron Matthew were bad apples. Tyron Matthew was a great signing here three years ago when he got here. Yeah. Tremendous. 100%. The man was all voted all pro at two different positions in the same year. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, this how ridiculous. does that happen? Um, but last year was just not a good year for him. And, and, you know, it was time for them to move on. And, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I know he came out and made some comments after the fact, like, I just, you know, I'd have, I'd have played here for 10 million a year, you know, or whatever. Or the Justin Reed deal, he would have played for that. Well, the fact of the matter is you weren't, you didn't play up to that last year. Yeah. So, that's the business of pro sports. That's the business of football. That's the business of the National Football League when you're a commodity as a player. You have to take the ebbs and flows. And every single year is a different year. And a lot of things can happen. You can have a couple injuries to key guys that completely derail your season. You can catch a little luck along the way because you have to be lucky. Mm-hmm. You know, the ball has to bounce a certain way for you sometimes. Uh, for you guys to have success, you know, not to bring this up, but you go back to the first AFC Championship game. If D Ford's not offsides, they're going to a Super Bowl. They're going year, right, like yeah. little things like that make a difference and have to go your way in order to have the ultimate success. So it's a natural progress. It's hard to watch sometimes. It's hard to because I, I keep asking myself now, and I thought about this last year. Even is the regression? Are they going to regress? If, you know, a little bit this year. Mm-hmm. And if they do, that's okay. And this year might be the year that happens a little bit. Now, I still have my money on, I don't bet, but I'd still put my money on Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes For all sure. day long. 
but maybe the re- regular season record isn't you know what what they want us. I mean, we saw it at the beginning of last year. Defense was wasn't playing well. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't look good. I got into it with people on Twitter. I told Chiefs fans to calm down, and people tell me I was crazy. I'm like, look, it's gonna be fine. Yeah, and they still went to an AFC Championship game. So, I'm not saying I was right. I'm just saying like it's early. It's a long season. So that was 17 games. Before we go into the next break, we are going to talk about the AFC West, but I, I guess obviously the defense has been something that has been um, a weakness on the team. And I don't understand if you're moving some of these players, what is the value in Frank Clark? What is it? The, what is the value? The value of Frank Clark is gone. Um, you know, I, I, he is dramatically, I'll say this, he's drastically underprovided for his contract, underproduced for his contract. 100%. Now, I've heard some things that he's been banged up physically over the last couple of years. I'll buy that. Um, you know, he wouldn't be here this year had he not reworked his deal because he was going to be like a $12 million, $11 million cap hit mm-hmm. if they released him. Mm-hmm. He reworked it so he's, you know, like a million over that. So I think if it was supposed to be 11, he's now 12 to okay. keep him. Okay. So either way, you're going to take that charge. So I think they looked at it because he was willing to do that and say, hey, okay, he's going to be a part-time player now, which I think is his role. Go out and try to get eight, nine, ten sacks as a, as a one or two down player. It's just a, strictly a pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Um, there are roles like that for guys. There's a lot of guys in the National Football League and pass rushers that are that way that are good. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got to have a – this is Frank Clark's getting up there a little bit in age. This is this is a year for him to prove it to somebody else in the league. He won't be here next year regardless. I don't care what he does this year. One hundred percent guarantee, huh? Well, I don't like one hundred percent guarantees. Okay? You just feel very because there's always about a chance. It. Sure, you just feel very strongly. Yes, about I feel it. very strong that he won't be here next year, okay. even if he plays tremendously. Well, he needs to play tremendously. Yeah. All right. If he wants to continue to play in the league, he, he needs wants, to. He's not going to get another long term deal somewhere, no. but he could get another, let's just say, a one year, $9 million deal somewhere. If he wants a, a deal like that to happen for him, he's got to play well this year. But to even get that, he's got to step up this oh, year. Oh, yeah. It's yes. Be this year and, sure. and frankly, we need him. I mean, the Chiefs need that defense to step up. Um, all right, so before we go to break, let's talk about the AFC West. Every team, I mean, every team in the AFC West is loaded up. Um, they're obviously, you know, they're targeting the Chiefs. They're they're trying to knock off the, the Chiefs off the top spot of the division. Um, have the teams, though, done enough to close the gap and knock them off? Obviously, you've said that you're going to continue to put your... Yeah, it's... I look at it this way... Your team usually is built around your division because you play each of those teams twice. Twice, you have to. So, you know, you've got six games against your division every single year. And a lot of times you win your division, you go to the playoffs. So six of what used to be six of your, you know, 16 games, now 17 games. But but you're getting up there on that side of things. So that's a lot of – it's a lot of – you know, equity to put into your roster. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs obviously have owned everybody in the AFC West over the last couple of years. Four. But you've got talent uh, at the quarterback position in Justin Herbert and I almost said San Diego, but in Los Angeles with the Chargers. I know, it's so hard to do. Um, the Las Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr is an okay quarterback. 
Um, but they went out and got Devontae Adams, um, who, That's a big in my deal. opinion, is the best receiver in the National Football League. And they got a good tight end. And they got a good tight end. Their defense is a problem. Mm-hmm. When I say a problem, it's a problem for them, not for anybody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then the Broncos, who, you know, for all intents and purposes, not far at off. It, have been solid. They just haven't solidified their quarterback position. So they make the move to go get Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not as big a Russell Wilson fan as a lot of people are, um, but he's still a Super Bowl winning Pro Bowl type quarterback. Is he the difference? I don't know. Um, they're hoping he is. But you don't make a move like that right now if you don't think your team's, you know, they got a brand new head coach, but they still were competitive last year and they were in the playoff race for a while, like through October or into November. You don't make a move like that if, if you don't feel confident that that's the missing piece for you. So it's going to be interesting this year. I think this is not just because we sit here in Kansas City and looking at the AFC West, but it is the best division in football top to bottom. 100%. And the Chargers have made some moves, on just let alone their quarterback situation, but they've made some moves in free agency and other stuff as well that, that uh, to improve their team. Now, over the last five years, everybody's talked about the Chargers being the next. They signed somebody on defense. Um, gosh dang it. Who was? Do you um, recall? Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I can't think of um, But they had somebody, they signed somebody on defense that I was hoping the Chiefs were going to go after and, and didn't get. Um, oh, that's, I should be better prepared for this, but I don't remember who it was. Anyway, the point is, is that the lead, the, the vision is stacked. And I don't think it's going to be. I think it's it's going to be um, a lot closer. Personally, I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. I mean, I'm not going to. I wouldn't. I am a betting man, and I'm not going to put <laughs> my money on the Chiefs to win the division. Right. You know, I think there's just too much that could. the 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 margin of error has has shrunk. It's shrunk. shrunk. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The margin of error is definitely the gap is closed. One hundred percent. All right. After the break, Mark and I are going to discuss. The rest of the league, including the NFC, we're also going to discuss the college game and the recent implementation of the NIL, where college players are making big money for their name, image, and likeness. Also, later in the show, Mark will open up about his transition with leaving professional football and his struggles that that presented, as mental health is slowly becoming a bigger topic in today's society. Mark will get below the surface to offer his perspective on what professional athletes go through. Hang tight. It's coming up next on the Paparon Podcast. The Paparon Podcast is brought to you by Dumar Solutions. Dumar Solutions, offering affordable chemical and PPE solutions for any industry. Automotive, industrial, manufacturing, concrete, and asphalt construction. Also offering kitchen cleaners, corrosion control, and specialty coatings. Detergents, cleaners and degreasers, laundry care, floor care, odor control, personal hygiene, and much more. Do more with Dumar. Inquire with any of your needs at DumarSolutions.com. That's D-O-M-A-R-E solutions.com. Now, back to the Paparon Podcast. Here's Ronnie Phillips. Next week on the show, if you haven't learned by now, the topic of mental health is important to me after my struggles over the last couple of years. I've since gone public about that on this podcast. And the old digital algorithm allowed me to reconnect with an old friend of mine of about 15 years. Her name is Melissa Hagen. She's a functional nutritionist, an integrative mental health practitioner, and self-proclaimed 
goofy chick on social media with the focus on what the hell is wrong with our system. She will discuss the importance of gut health with the emphasis of brain health, and she has a holistic approach to mental health issues, and I think it could be very insightful. It's next week here on the Popper on Podcast. We're back with Mark Bo Richter, former wide receiver of the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's dive into some of the other big stories around the league. Obviously, Tom Brady retires, then decides to come back. Um, I haven't heard yet. Is Grunt coming back? Has he made a decision yet? I haven't heard, and I haven't really paid attention, to be honest with you, on that side of things. Okay, so... <laughs> Just to be completely transparent. Sure, that's fine. And Well, I mean, obviously, they're like two peas in a pod, but there was some discussion where he was kind of making into windows that he would be interested in playing in Cincinnati with the Bengals. Um, there's always a story surrounding Baker Mayfield now, especially with Deshaun Watson coming to Cleveland. On the, on the NFC side, you got Debo Samuel trying to leverage his team. Tyler Murray obviously doesn't seem happy in Arizona. What are some of the most impactful headlines to you on that side during the offseason? Uh, well, I think the elephant in the room, not necessarily in this room, but in the National Football League room is the Deshaun Watson situation. Um, <laughs> that's amazing to me what, what the Browns did. Um with all of the allegations that are out there. And and not that they traded for him. It was the fully guaranteed contract that they gave him. Yeah. That's the part to me that... Because there are always going to be guys that get in trouble in the league, have been in trouble before they get to the league, um, that things are going to happen, but... If your performance is good enough, people are still going to pay you to come play and work for them, right? That's professional sports. But that that's the big thing to me is I just don't understand what the Browns are thinking. Again, I can understand why they traded for him, but even amongst that, with all the allegations that are out there, giving him the contract that they did fully guaranteed um, and the structure of it with the signing bonus and stuff that, it's minimal financially to him is a huge problem to me. And I'll just say this, Ronnie, like as a guy that played in the league, watched guys, you know, chase women, right? Different things. Mm. I say that chase women, but you know, um, enjoyed their life as a professional athlete. Let's put it that way. Okay. (laughs) It's probably the most calm way to put it. Sure. Again, my era way before social media on stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know a single guy in the league or a guy that I played with that had 20 some different massage therapists mm-hmm. in a year. Mm-hmm. Now, there are always people that are going to be out to get your money based on some things that have happened. Um, I'm sure there were some you know, ladies that were possibly willing participants, but this is a problem. And. I think any other player you talk to would say the same thing. You only go to a couple different massage therapists that you trust. You're not finding random ones in different cities. That's that's a, that's not that's not the norm. <laughs> I'll just say that. Sure. So there's some issues. That's the biggest headline I think this this year so far for me. So he was acquitted, right? Well, there's civil lawsuits pending. Sure. And I think there was a couple grand juries that you know, declined to move forward with charges for him uh, at this time in terms of criminal. Now, again, criminal and civil is completely different. You sure. have a burden of proof. 
mm-hmm. quote, without a reasonable doubt, right, to, to mm-hmm. find somebody guilty or move forward with that stuff. So, you know, I don't know. But I, I, I know this. That's, that's been dominating the headlines. Mm-hmm. And specifically the contract that they gave him. Yeah. Now, there's been a lot of other news around the league. You mentioned Debo Samuel. That seems to be pretty quiet lately. All the kind of normal stuff you'd see in contracts and guys holding out about this time of year. It's still happening, but um, that to me has been the biggest story this offseason, I think. What's going to happen to Baker Mayfield? Well, I think the Browns are going to trade him at some point. But the problem is when you trade for Deshaun Watson and hand him the guaranteed contract, you have zero leverage left to trade Baker Mayfield. Yeah. And the Browns were already, if they were going to trade for Deshaun Watson and give him that type of contract with all the stuff that's going on, you were going to do that anyway before unloading Baker Mayfield. So the only thing I can think of, which makes this even more idiotic of the Browns, is that (laughs) he's their insurance policy if Deshaun Watson's suspended for an entire year. Now, if you're Baker Mayfield... I mean, they kind of need an insurance policy. They do. and But the thing is with it is that if you're Baker Mayfield, you're looking at it going, I don't want to be here if I'm not wanted. Right. right? I'm definitely not the future here because you just handed this guy who's got 20-some, 30 lawsuits against him, um, you know, all this money. I'm clearly not the guy moving forward because you guaranteed all that. And I don't want to be your insurance policy. The only piece selfishly for him that he's got is like, okay, if Deshaun Watson gets suspended for the code of conduct stuff with the National Football League, Baker goes out there and says, I'm going to go ball out and give you guys the big middle finger here in Cleveland. And then you're going to have to, you know, then he, I think he's entering the last year of his deal. So he'd be able to walk. Then out it's a there. deal for both of them. Then they get yeah. to trade him for, but it's hard. The, yeah. I mean, would you want to stay there even as the insurance policy, even if next week the NFL comes out and says, Deshaun Watson is suspended for a year. I still wouldn't want to be there. No, you don't want to be there. But at the end of the day, it's still a business. And, of course, I say that as a fan, right? Because I've never psychologically been in that position, much like I'm talking to you psychologically about (laughs) starting overrated. Right. You know, which, I mean, yeah, for me as a fan, it's easy to say that. But, you know, I've never been in your shoes. I guess what I'm saying, though, is a baker, if you still want to play in this league and you still want to play – to the to the salary of which they are paying you or you're expected to be paid, you've got to go ball out. When your opportunity yeah. comes, yeah. you've got to go because if you don't and you fail under this situation, you might get another chance, but are you in it to play? Are you yeah. in it to make money and or both? You know what I mean? Yeah, like totally. like you are Baker Mayfield, first round draft pick. Like you you have a level of expectation you have to meet. And if you're in knowing Baker, like I think I do because I'm in big 12 country and I watched him with the swag and, and, and arrogance that he has, he's a competitor. Like I would think that he would, no matter whether he wants to be there or not, he's going to go out and look out for him. Oh yeah, I think so. But again, right now he doesn't have any leverage because they control his rights. So he can either do this publicly and go out and start demanding, like, I want to be traded. When I think behind the scenes, I think he's handling it the right way right now, just sitting quiet. Which let is probably all, really hard for him. It, I'm sure it's really hard. <laughs> but that's, yeah, especially for him. But I right. think you got to just let it play itself out and go from there. All right. Before we, I think the best thing for him, sorry, I dropped it. I think the right. best thing for him 
would be to let it go quietly like this. And then if something does happen with Deshaun Watson, be like, I'm not playing for the Browns. You're going to trade me. There's his leverage. Before we move on to college football, who's the contenders in the NFC in 2022? Um, I think the Rams still. Obviously, Super Bowl champions. Um, you know, Seattle's rebuilding. Arizona, not sold on Kyler Murray. He's not. Yeah, what's the story ha- there? He's not happy with his deal. Um, what happened you know, they there? They flame out every single year. You know, I just. Does the Cliff screw that up? I think there's part of that with Cliff. I don't know. Um, you know, I think the Packers are going to make another run still with Aaron Rodgers here. You look at that. Um, that is just crazy that, that that guy. I think Philadelphia could be with, with Jalen Hurts mm, and a young coach. Really? Yeah, I think, okay. I think they had a much better year last year than people gave them credit for. I didn't expect to hear that one. Um, but there's a lot of teams that are in a mess, right? Like mm-hmm. Matt Ryan's gone from from Atlanta. You know, there's there's been a lot of turnover. You know, you probably put the Bucks up there, but. Well, that's the I'm surprised that I haven't heard that name yet. Got Tom Brady yeah. coming back. I'm not going to say the Cowboys because they're the Cowboys. And <laughs> every year it seems like, you know, you think it's the next year they're taking a step forward. Um, the 49ers, if they can get their quarterback situation figured out uh, and the Debo Samuel fi- situation figured out. Who is the quarterback in San Francisco? Well, right now, Jimmy, I mean, I know Jimmy Garoppolo is still there, but Trey Lance is going to be the guy. That's Jimmy my- Garoppolo is coming off a shoulder injury. I didn't mean yeah. to ask that as an ignorant person oh, who no, had yeah. no idea. I'm just saying, who do you feel like is should be the starting quarterback for the 49ers? Well, I think Trey Lance has to be moving forward. you got to see what you have. Then you got to move Garoppolo, don't yeah, you? Yeah, but he's still coming off a shoulder injury right now, so that's the only reason he hasn't been moved. That's right. I forgot about that. All right. This is probably going to turn out to be the longest podcast in the entire short in, uh, history of the Papa Ron podcast, but... Um, we're just having a lot to talk about, and it's been great. I love it. Um, let's if we got to make this two, I can come back for another one. <laughs> Are you getting bored? No, I'm not getting bored. I'm just saying. All right. Well, we've never topped. We're at an hour and roughly 30 minutes right now. We've never gone over an hour and 45. So um, let's see what we can get done here. College football, which is probably my personal favorite of all sports. I absolutely love college football. I love college basketball during the tournament. I mean, I do enjoy college basketball, but I, I passionately love college football. Some big changes in that game. Obviously, there's the, um, the big move with Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. But the even bigger storyline impacts all of the NCAA, which is NIL, which stands for Name Image Likeness, where players can now get paid for their influence to promote businesses slash brands. And some are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not close to millions of dollars. Um, there's, I feel like this is causing kind of some conflict, not only in the NCAA, but it's even causing conflict between coaches and the league. Hmm. Uh, some of the, uh, one of the big headlines, obviously, is one of the most notarized college football coach of all time, Nick Saban and uh, Jimbo Fisher over at Texas A&M. I mean, where do we start with this? I mean, I think it's inevitable that these players were going to get paid at some point, but don't you think that the NCAA still has a little bit of work to do, if not a lot of work to do, to somehow get a handle on how nutty this thing has gotten? Yes, it's uh, it's gotten out of control. Um, the whole purpose of this and how it started 
was because you're a state K State guy, I'll just describe it this way, okay? Skyler Thompson is your starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. What number was he? Well, he had two different numbers. He started with 10, but start, ended with seven. Ended with seven, right? So he's your starting quarterback at number seven. You go to the Kansas State bookstore, go to a rally house, you go to any of those types of places, and they have a Kansas State jersey with number seven on it. No name on the back. Everybody knows it's Skyler Thompson's jersey, right? Yep. Go to the University of Nebraska. Starting quarterback or one of the best players there. People are buying that jersey. Names are usually on the back of the regular jerseys, right? Not on that one. Mm-hmm. That's how this all started originally. So that if you're selling a jersey with my number on it, you can't put the name on the back of it, but everybody knows it's my number. And the only reason they're flying off the shelves is because of, how, of who I am as a player. Right. And my popularity as a player. And so you should get a royalty for some of that because that is your truly your name, your image, and your likeness. Correct. But it's turned into, and the other piece with this is, not a lot of people know this, but if you're a student athlete with the NCAA, they really forbid you to make any money whatsoever in a job because they want to try to govern it for you from going to get a job at the car dealership mm-hmm. where half the time you don't even have to show up. Yeah. Or the guy's paying you 20, 30 hours a week when you're only there five. Sure. Right type of thing. Yeah. That's what they're trying to get away from. Or that's what the rules were in place to begin with. What it's turned into now, because of that, though, is your right as an individual to make money and a job with your influence. So a lot of it's through social media, through TikTok, the amount of followers you get. You have brands that come to you and say, hey, we're willing to pay you X amount for this post. Well, you have influence because you're a starting football player at Kansas State or Missouri or Alabama or University of Washington or wherever the hell you're at. And so that was the whole purpose of it to give those student athletes an opportunity to, to truly be able to make money off their name and likeness. What it's turned into or have influence in the sponsorship of your local car dealership. What it's turned into now is these collectives that have been put in place. Kind of like not to get into politics on this one, but kind of like the super PACs that are out there, right? In politics for fundraising. Correct. There's fundraising rules and campaign finance rules, but how do you get around some of that stuff? All these other super PACs and different Mm -hmm. things around it. And so that's what's happening now. And, you know, a year or so ago when this came out, you saw some guys like the, I think that Quinn Evers kid from Ohio state is now in Texas. Came out. He had some like $3 million deal or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, Whoever's given that to him most likely is put it in a place that you have to be here for three years or you're not getting the full amount. There's obligations you have to do. And if you're a business owner and saying, hey, I'm willing to give this college kid who's 19 years old $100,000 to promote my brand because it's good for me, then okay, that's that's your right to do so. Mm-hmm. But these collectives are now coming into play where you've got the opportunity as a student athlete where now they're going, hey, if you come here, I can get you a hundred thousand dollars a year, or maybe it's five hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah, in the case of Nigel Pack, who played at Kansas State and transferred to Miami, he's now getting four hundred thousand yeah. dollars a year, so he's getting guaranteed eight hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's become pay to play, and not that there wasn't illegal practices already going on under the table. That's been going on forever, sure, and even at the largest, most successful institutions. Um. But it's completely changed the landscape of things. And I think it's 
it's like, you know, once you put the toothpaste out of the tube, right, it's hard to get it back in, right? You can't stick it back in. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> you can't get it back in there. It's yeah. really hard. Yeah. And so how do they govern this now? It's the wild, wild west out there. Yeah. And, you know, I saw Michigan State's players, football players, have made their own collective now as a team. How did they do that? So I don't know exactly how they did it, but I saw they made a collective as a team. So they're going out to sponsors as a team and saying, here's our influence. Here's what we got. Put some money in this pool. Maybe we can give every kid on maybe, – maybe every guy gets 10000 but maybe your starting quarterback gets a certain amount more, right? But we're going to control it as a team hmm. individually, not some outside entity. That's interesting. And here's the other thing I'll bring up to you. It's really expensive to own – a professional sports franchise, right? Mm-hmm. We just saw the Denver Broncos get sold for but the yeah. most amount ever. Yeah, for the Broncos, a couple billion dollars. But if you're a big money guy that truly has fuck you money, okay, <laughs> right, right, right. There's a difference between being rich and wealthy and having fu money. Do you and pro sports franchises are are really you know on the rise in terms of valuation? Well, let's say you're a guy that. You're not just one individual group but, or individual person, but you have a group of four of you that are part of ownership group, right? Because a lot of these ownership groups have other people that are part of it for smaller investments. I say smaller investments. But you're still a guy that has FU money. Do you want to go put that into a professional sports franchise? Or am I cool with going, you know what, for $500,000 a year, I can sponsor the starting quarterback <laughs> at the University of Nebraska, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or have a lot of influence and be like, that's my guy. Yeah. And walk around with your chest all puffed up. Mm-hmm. Having that influence, like, I got the top three starting guys here. I yeah. made them come here because I offered them this deal. Sure. Those guys, love, they're all egotistical anyway. Oh, yeah. Right? If you have a few money, you're, you've got an ego. Absolutely. You have more influence that way than you would if you owned a professional sports franchise. Isn't or a that part crazy? Of it. That's so crazy to think of it that way. And your investment's less. I never thought I of it like you that, my it's so true. I, I just gave you my idea if I won the Powerball this week. <laughs> um, so do you think that they're going to be able to get this thing under control relatively soon? I think soon? at some point it, they're going to have to get they're going to have to get it under control. Otherwise, yeah. it truly is going to be it's going to change the landscape of college sports completely where College football itself, like people don't realize this, but the college football playoff is not part of the NCAA. It's its own separate entity. Right. Which is why they set the parameters of how it happens with their playoff. And the before it was the BCS, right? The same mm-hmm. thing then. Eventually, some of these people making these deals are going to realize this is a stupid investment for us. Right. You brought up Nigel Pack, but just as a example, I'm not saying he's going to be a stupid No, investment, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at some point, you're going to be like, I just handed $400,000 to a 19-year-old kid, and he didn't perform on the field or on the yeah. court. What, 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 somebody, what, was I, what was I thinking? Yeah, somebody's – it's a little early in the game. It's too so, early It's too early for that to, to yeah. for that to look because I do think when I was bringing up the Quinn Ivers kid, like that stuff's all great until somebody goes, you know what, I got burned on this a couple times. I'm not doing that anymore. Right. But I, I still think it'll be there. Um, if they use these collectives, it's going to end up whoever can raise the most money. And it's going to change recruiting not because it's pay for play, but then also the problem we have nowadays with high school recruiting is that too, is that all these kids think they're the greatest thing in the world, 
right? And and rightfully so because they've been told you're a four star recruit, you're a five star recruit, and you've been you got all this athletic ability, but you still got to pan out and go work. Yep, and be a player. You can't just show up and be like I'm getting. Because some of these kids' attitudes will be that way. Like, I'm getting, I'm getting paid $400,000. Well, that's just so it. What are you going to do with me? You're not getting rid of me. These are 18-, 19-year-old kids who are going to be getting paid more money than Davy Crockett. Yeah. And they're not going to have the maturity and the discipline to understand what to do with it. Yes. And, I mean, I don't, I, I don't feel like I'm saying something revolutionary when I say that some of these kids are going to be getting hundreds of thousands, if not close to millions of dollars. Some of them are going to fail. Yeah, some of them are going to fail because they saw they got the money, but they didn't get what they were paid to, to do, which 100%, is perform. Hundred percent, and that's when that that's when it's going to be a problem. Yeah. I am also excited to see how the football season pans out when Alabama and Texas A and M play. Just going to say because that whole Jim, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban soap Don't opera. Don't forget that Texas A and M beat them last. I year. I know, too. I know that was awesome. That was awesome. I love it. All right, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna head to break here real quick. Um, I got it. Sorry, do this button. Here we go. After the break, Mark is going to dive into his uh, what life has been like post-professional football, some of which will take him to a vulnerable place to discuss. It's not all sunshine and rainbows for those guys, and Mark will explain the reason why and his tr- uh, struggles when we come back on the all-new Papa Ron Podcast. You're listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Keep up to date on new podcasts, new discussion topics, and future casts. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Search Papa Ron Podcast and be sure to like and leave a comment. Now, back to the show. Here again is your host, Ronnie Phillips. We're back with Mark Richter, an old friend of mine. By the way, by yes, the way, I, I should know that the mic is always hot. <laughs> I yeah. should not talk to her. I was like, I mean, you've been doing this for years. That's a rookie mistake on my part. It's all right. Not that it was that big of a deal. That's what you call podcast authenticity. That's right. I'll, I'll, I'll acknowledge my error. There you go. You're owning it. <laughs> back with Mark Richter, known him for my days working at Q104. When I arrived in Kansas City back in January of 2003, Mark joined the Kansas City Chiefs in 2002. Uh, I, I look, I'm going to just tell you this, buddy. And I don't know that I've ever told you this, but being doing what I had done, which is, you know, kind of being in the limelight as a local celebrity doing country radio personality. Yeah. Right. So you're kind of in the spotlight, much like obviously you would be more as a professional athlete, but you know, I get to kind of live that lifestyle a little bit. And, and so because of that, I have the, um, the opportunity to meet lots of popular people, other players, other country musicians. And when I got here and met you, I have to say that it was a little bit different than meeting any of the other players that I met along the way. You're a very humble dude, very approachable. You're fun to hang out with. Never too good to talk football with someone like me who's just, at the time, a country DJ who loves sports. So I just want to say that and how much I appreciated that and 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 the fact that we're still friends all these years later, um, even after you've left the game. So um, when we talked about you coming onto the show, I told you that I wanted to get below the surface. And, and you said that you had some things that you felt you could, that, that would align with what this podcast is all about, which yeah. is just discussing yeah. real life stuff. So let's dive into it. What happened when you left professional football? What were those struggles that followed you? Uh, well, there are a lot <laughs> in a lot of ways, but I think, I'll say this, okay? There's a cliche and an adage out there that as an athlete, you die twice, okay? It could be for you as a high school athlete, a college athlete, or 
in my case, as a professional athlete, because I was fortunate enough to play professionally. And what I say that is, is you're identified as an athlete for a long time, right? So small town, Kansas, you know, good athlete, your high school, maybe you went on to play in college. Maybe you didn't, but did you ever step foot on the field? You can't replace putting on the pads on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. Once your senior year's over, it's the worst thing in the world. Some guys get to go on and play in college. Most guys don't get the chance to play professionally. There comes a point when your athletic career is over. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about going and playing rec softball, you know, or after yeah. the recreational stuff. Yeah, That's your death as an athlete initially. Yep. And then the other death is when you actually die. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you die twice. When you first die as an athlete, or as I'm alluding to here, it's your identity for so much of your life mm-hmm. that you were identified as an athlete and what you identified as and yep. what people identified you as. And there are a lot of people out there, a lot of players um, who've done a good job with transition, that there's more to them than athletics. There are a lot of guys that there's not a lot more to than athletics. The beauty of a locker room especially at the professional level and even at the college level. It is a melting pot of guys when I say football, but it could be female sports also, right? Mm-hmm. NFL locker room is a melting pot of guys. A guy like myself from central Nebraska, guy like Casey Wigman from central Iowa, Trent Green from St. Louis. But then you got guys that are from the deep south where it's poor, you got guys from the inner city in Chicago who grew up on the projects, mm-hmm. you know, poor as all get out, a lot of violence around them. You got guys that, um, you know, have never seen any money before in their life. And now they're handed all this money and everybody in their family and everybody, you know, my dog, come, come hang with me, man. You know, like <laughs> yeah. all that stuff happens. Yeah. And so there's a lot of pressure on you as an athlete. So when it's time for you to walk away, like for me, it was 2008. I still could have played in the, in the Canadian Football League if I wanted to. But I looked at it as I'm a kid from small town Nebraska. I played at NAI school and had an eight-year professional run. Not bad, right? Not bad at no, all. No, it's a great run. If, I, if you'd have told me that, to begin, begin with, I would have signed up. If you told me I could have played two years in the CFL and been done, I'd been like, where do I sign? Yeah. Just want to yeah. keep playing. But coming out of it, you don't necessarily know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You may think you do. And, and I feel like I had a pretty good understanding of, of where I was at with things. Um, a realistic notion of what I could make. Where there's a lot of guys that come out and go, Oh yeah, I want to make 500 grand. You're like, yeah, the majority of the United States is not make 500 grand. Okay. No. Yeah. Exactly. In any role. So what do you sure. do? You know, here's a base salary of 50 in your sales role. Right. Yeah, yep. Yep. You hit everything. You can get to 120. Okay. Okay, great. That's not going to work for me. Well, then you're screwed. Okay, man. Yep. You got to have a realization of where things are at. Sure. So that part of it for me wasn't a big deal, but life changes around you. And, you know, I don't know what the statistics are right now, but I'm a statistic from the standpoint that, you know, I got divorced a few years after. Life changes. You're around a lot more. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. It's like any other piece of that happens. And so, you know, I'm a statistic. I went through a divorce in 2012, Uh, got remarried in 2015. Things are good. But, you know, you struggle mentally 
you talked about this earlier, the competitive side, the self-competitive side. Yep. You cannot replicate what the competitive side of athletics is in any career. Mm. And I'm in sales, which is about the most you can, the most competitive I think you can get because you're competing against yourself. You're competing against a quota. You're competing against your other folks because you want to make the president's club or champions club trip or whatever it is, right? There are goals and objectives you can reach. Yeah, and that, if it's commissioned, then you're getting paid correct, on the performance. Correct. There's there's that stuff, which is why athletes do really well in that environment because that's mm-hmm. performance-driven. But you can't replicate the rush of a Saturday afternoon college football game and run it out of the tunnel. Yeah. You can't replicate what it feels like on Sunday to catch a touchdown pass at Arrowhead Stadium. Not even catch a touchdown pass. Just be suited up for the game. <laughs> okay? Yeah, right. Okay? Like, let's be real. Yeah. I don't care to play. Can the I just suit crowd, up and run out this, there? Yeah. You, you <laughs> just can't replicate that. And so a lot of guys, and myself included, struggle to be happy. Mm. Right? It's probably the best way to put it. Now, I could run into you on the street. We're friends. But... Yeah. How are things going? Oh, things are going good, man. That has nothing to do with me as a former professional athlete. If things really aren't going well, that's yeah. just more of me as a male. <laughs> okay, right? Yeah. On stuff. Sure. That's how I look at it. But, you know, for the longest time, there haven't been a lot of programs for guys transitioning out of the NFL. It's how do you, you know, a plan in place. And I think the hardest part for that is guys don't want to hear it. Mm. Right? You don't want to hear the truth on stuff. At the same time, you don't want to talk about the truth of how you're actually feeling with stuff that's going on. How do you deal with it? So, you know, I've been through several career opportunities at this point at 44, uh, more than I'd like to be, right? I've been successful at some of them. Some of them mm-hmm. haven't worked out is what it is. Yeah. Um, but you struggle to kind of find what your purpose is in life again, mm, man. right? Yeah. So. I'm a father, as you know. Yep. Uh, my kids are from my previous marriage. My daughter's going to be a senior in high school this year already, which I know you're going to be like, holy crap. I know. She was born in 05 when yeah. you, know, you and I know each other for two years at that point, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and my son's 13, going to be an eighth grader. So they're getting older, obviously, on things. And, you know, you struggle as a, as a dad and, and – Number one, dealing with kids these days because it's a different world out there than mm-hmm. we ever grew up in. Mm-hmm. With social media, obviously, that's the obvious thing, but so many different things out there. And then struggling with mental health. Um, and I feel like sometimes people look at mental health like, oh, it's an excuse. Okay? Yeah. Mental health is not about whether you truly have a sickness, <laughs> Right, or a disease type of thing. Because I think that's somewhat to, the stigma is like, oh, they're crazy. Or, or everybody, I shouldn't say everybody. People's stigma is that you truly have something wrong. Like, And when I say that, like a, a disorder, like a schizophrenia or something like that, that's what I use the example. Yep. It's not about that. It's about how all the chemicals and everything else in your brain works together to elicit emotional response. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had probably... Four or five concussions mm. in my career from high school up. Yep. That were documented. Really? <laughs> right. Which means you probably have had more. Yes. There's there's times, you know, when you quote got your bell rung. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that probably was a concussion nowadays. But in the era that we grew up, you just rub some dirt on it and get yeah, back in the game. Get back out there. Um and and I don't think those have really affected me. I say that, okay? Yeah. But 
it's something I worry about. Sure. Especially in the future here as I get older. Yeah, especially being a dad. Yeah, being a dad and then just from a human side of things going, okay, am I going to deteriorate faster than other people? Because you see the statistics of what's happened to NFL players. Mm-hmm. But I guess where I'm going with this, the mental health side of things is over the last several years, I've started to realize that it's okay to not be okay. And I know that's kind of a tagline that's out there. Yeah. But it's true. And I'm one of those guys, as a male, number one, <laughs> we yeah. don't talk about our feelings enough. Yep. Uh, you just let things go. You let it bottle up inside you, mm-hmm. thinking it's going to go away or that sort of stuff, and it ends up wearing on you more. <sighs> and then yep. when you factor in outside things that happen for you, facing adversity financially, career-wise, relationship-wise, the drama that goes on with all those different things, family, you know, all that stuff, you realize that you got to take a step back and be selfish for a second and really think about yourself mm-hmm. and how do you feel. Yeah. And not necessarily what makes you happy because you can ride that roller coaster of emotions where you're like, oh, things are great, or I, I woke up and felt good today. Yeah. And then tomorrow you wake up and you're like, man, I feel like shit. <laughs> And I didn't drink. I didn't do anything. Yeah. I'm not tired. But I am in a spot today that do not say anything to me the wrong way because I'm going to snap at you. Yeah. For no reason. I get it. So I think it's really hard nowadays. But I've I've started to talk about my feelings more. The NFL has more programs in place now for this over the last couple of years, which have been great. So good. as an example. Do they still – sorry to interrupt, no, but good. do they – does the NFL – offer those programs to people like yourself, even that for, even though it's coming after you've yeah, been in the Yeah, so there, there didn't used to be a lot of post-playing programs until, I don't know, I'm trying to think, maybe 2012-ish. Okay. That's one of the new CBAs went into play somewhere around in there. Okay. They really started trying to focus on guys in, after their career. And more of it's just in true health fashion, okay? Because okay. your body is so beat up after all these years of playing football mm-hmm. that... You know, there's a lot of injuries that have taken place. But it's also they also started to realize it needs to come in off the field as well. So we've got the ability to get counseling sessions that are paid for by the NFL Players Trust on things. Those are all things that are collectively bargained that your revenue and everything else. I've taken advantage of those for myself, for my kids. Good. Relationship-wise. And, you know, it's hard to go, I need to go get help and talk to somebody because you're like, like, I trust you, okay? I yeah. know you trust me. Yeah. But there's also things probably from time to time, I'm like, I don't know, if, I'm not going to tell Ronnie this. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, there's I a different. I get it. I get it. Sometimes you need a third party to go talk to stuff about. Yeah. And I've seen it with my kids, and I'm not going to get into all that kind of piece with this, but sure, it's hard for kids growing up these days yeah. because there's so much going on. Now, I will say also, in this generation of my kids' age, I think there's, when I say this, it'll be a little controversial. There's a little bit of softness that's happened also. Okay. Yeah. Right. But it, yeah. when I say that it's, we're not teaching kids how it's, it is fine for us to be sympathetic and understand where they're going through on things and really pay attention to that. But then also understand what that is and the difference is of potentially just overcoming a little bit of adversity and helping them work. My point is helping them work through it. Yeah in a way where it's not just like, oh, yeah, it's okay. 
You know, I, I'm does that gonna, make sense? Yeah, it does. I'm going to interject just a little bit because I remember, um, I think, you know, my story, you said you've listened to the podcast, my first episode, you know, um, or a, which is actually what inspired this entire episode, you know, podcast in the first place. And I was talking to a Heartland Waterfowl sponsor um, shortly after I, I did the podcast and, and I've got a lot of respect for this particular sponsor. And I felt like I was supposed to, I, I wanted to call that person and just say, Hey, before you hear this, I want you to hear it from me first. This is what's going on. And that particular sponsor was so cool about it. And I was trying to explain to that person that, you know, like the problem that I struggled with coming clean with this was because I feel like that a lot of this environment is very soft these days. Um, and it, and I didn't want to be that person because I don't subscribe to that. I don't. So I subscribe to hard work. I subscribe to right. overcoming adversity. Right. I subscribe to, you know, not being coddled whenever something goes bad, you know, like I, um, I could, that was just the way I was raised, you know, and but I also uh, subscribe to the wrong ideology that, you know, as a man, you're not supposed to show your emotions and that you're supposed to hold everything within and you're supposed to be strong and you're supposed to just rub some dirt on it and not be a sissy and get back in there. And I got into a situation where like I'm, I'm walking this fine line of trying not to be soft and dealing with all of this crap. And for the first time in my life, dealing with more crap than I knew how to deal with. And I was internalizing it now for nearly two years to where it was physically affecting my body to where I'm having these really crazy itching attacks and I'm having massive fatigue, massive irritability. I'm a complete prick to everybody around me. And to the point where I had a panic attack when I was on an airplane, never have I had a panic attack before. The only thing that I could compare it to was when I was in eighth grade or seventh grade football being hazed by the eighth graders and they made us do a dog pile. And you're at the bottom of the dog pile right. and everybody's on top and you can't breathe. You got your pads on. There's choking you up here. Your shoulder pads are choking you. And you're trying everything you can not to freak out, but you're freaking out inside. Right. So anyway, I say all that to say is that I'm a lot more um, sensitive to the issue now um, when people say, hey, I'm, I know how to talk, you know, and I'm. So I'm, I'm leaning more away from the soft side. I still think that this is a generation in society where we're ultra soft, but I'm trying to be more sensitive. Yeah, I, I think you used the right term that I was looking for earlier is coddled. Yeah. Right? There's a difference between being sensitive to things and coddling stuff, right? Like right. I, I do think that there's a fine line to it, but I, I go just go back to, you know, myself on this piece, like, there's been days that I've gotten up and have said it's it's an awareness. But you have to be able to figure out what that awareness is, right? You have to be in touch with it. And I don't want to say until you come to grips with it because sometimes it's too late for people before they come to grips with it. Right. Right? On things. But you've got to figure out an awareness. And once you find that awareness, you can have balance. So, you know, you can see me in a group of people and I can be enjoying myself and talking to people. And then there's times I'm antisocial because I do. I'm a very outgoing person. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I don't have any problem introducing myself to other people or talking to other people, but there's times mm -hmm. I can walk into a room and be like, I'm not feeling this right now. I just got to scope the room out. Just give me my, give me my pace yeah. for a second yeah. and I'll be fine. I get it. 
And for a while I was like, am I really antisocial? Do I look like a dick sitting over here? Right. You know, like totally. Well, Mark doesn't really want to talk to me. I, I will just give me a second. Yeah. You got to acclimate just, yourself. Yeah. yeah. You got to, you got to, I don't say it's a full on panic attack or anxiety, but you're just like, there's something hit you for a second. It's partly anxiety. I, I think oh, it, it's partly it, it anxiety. Is anxi- there's anxiety to it. Yeah. But you also look at it and go, I'm an outgoing person. I, I shouldn't be feeling this way. What, what's going on with me? Yep. Right. Like, yep. so I think all those feelings, and it's helped me to go talk to somebody about this to identify it for myself. That's mm-hmm. been the big thing for me. Now, I haven't gone as much lately, okay, because I've been doing pretty well, right? But, you know, there was a period for a while um, that I was going constantly because I'm searching for myself, yeah. you know, and going, I feel like a failure at work. I feel like I'm I'm not being the best dad I can be. I'm not being the best husband. Like, I yeah. just, I feel like I come home from work and I'm miserable and you know, my son or daughter wants to go do something. And I'm like, oh, we will in a few minutes as opposed to just jumping up and going to do it. Cause I'd be happier because you're kept to mentally prepare yeah. yourself to get the energy to go do it. Cause you're Correct. just completely mentally yeah, and it's physically menti- exhausted. It's, it's mostly it's mental. It's mostly mental fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. And then you feel like you're being an ass to your kids and that dad doesn't want to do anything with them or whatever. And it could be something simple, right too, yeah. but it's just, and they don't understand. I know. It. And so I've had this conversation with my, my kids a couple of years ago on, hey, there's some times I'm going to tell you I just need a few minutes or I just need some time right now. And we'll go do this. Mm-hmm. And at first I said, you guys are going to be pissed when I say this sometimes, but you need to understand that I need this. As my kids have gotten older and dealt with things themselves through school, um, they start to see it also. And when I say see it, they're aware of where it's at too. And there's days I've gotten up and I'm like, you know, dude, I don't, I don't want to get up today. Right. Yeah. Now, every day I will tell you, I get out of bed. I don't, I'm not one that's, that's laid there. Right. Where you go into this deep depression. Yeah. All depression is depression. There's really sure. not a deep piece. Don't get me wrong. Um, no, but, no, no. I get what you're saying. You just have never got to the level. Like, yeah. Where I've, you never got, got yeah I've always just got up, but I've just kind of been functioning around. Right. Like, yeah. thing. but I think the biggest thing, I, my message on that piece, and I would like to do another one with these with you at some point, right. We can dive sure. into some further, but sure. my message to people on it is that, I think there's a stigma a lot of times about professional athletes that, especially now that we're hearing where guys take some time away from the game or, you know, I need to focus on my mental health and, and stuff like that, that you need to take it seriously because there are thoughts of suicide that goes through people's heads. There are some guys that just need a mental break from the grind. When you're as a fan sitting up there cussing out a player for dropping a pass, you know, he feels bad about it. Most of them do. There's probably some that don't care. Okay. <laughs> to be real. But he also has to go home. Yeah. And maybe his family's pissed at him as well. Or he's got to deal with all the other family that came into town that everybody wants in his pockets. Or, you know, mm. you don't know what's going on behind the scenes at home. You know, maybe they just had a premature baby at home. You don't, there's, it's the, it's the family and human side of professional athletes that the casual fan does not see. Right. Because all you see is performance on the field. Yeah. And that's how you measure it. But we're all human beings, and even after the fact, we all go through the same things. Some of us have just been elevated to this stature of a false stature, 
right? Because we played a professional sport. Yeah. You become a little more famous, your name's out there, things like that. But we all go through the same stuff. Yeah. And so for me, my whole transition is when I've talked about it with other people is like, I'm a statistic. I'm divorced. Um, like a lot of former NFL players are lifestyle changes. Um, like I feel like I've really done a pretty decent job, obviously of making the transition, maybe not where I want to be at this stage in my life, but, Mm -hmm. but we're getting there, you know, type of thing. And I think it's been important for me to talk about all those things, realize where I'm at, realize it's okay to, to feel the competitive juices and feel, failure that you're not where you want to be but it's okay because you're still working toward things it's mm-hmm. not over i died as an athlete right not the rest yet yeah. so there's a lot of a lot of stuff here yet to to unpack and to to get to but i think the biggest thing for me is i'll say this too i just talked about the professional athlete side of things we know how to handle pressure on the field on the court you know, on the baseball diamond. Some guys don't handle it as well as others, but you you feel comfortable in that pressure. Mm-hmm. Where you don't feel comfortable from a mental side of things is off the field with that pressure because you don't know how to deal with it. I know how I can control it on the football field or on the basketball court or whatever. I don't know how I can control it off the field. Hmm. So when you make that transition, you don't have the outlet to control the pressure on the field as the outlet. Right. So I'm not as healthy as I want to be right now. Right. Like I played at 225. I probably weigh 250 right now, to be honest with you. 248, somewhere in there. I don't want to go to the gym. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's a mental side of things. Yeah. I've tried. Um, I need to for my own personal health. Okay. Yeah. Moving forward. But when I got done playing, I didn't want to go to the gym. I'll tell you why, mentally. Number one, when I decided to retire, I felt comfortable with my decision. Could mm-hmm. have still kept playing, like I said, in the CFL. Yep. I didn't want to feel good. I didn't want to second-guess myself, like, okay, I, I could still go play. Should I go give another shot? Like, didn't gotcha. want to do it. And then the other thing with it is I've been lifting weights since I was in sixth, probably seventh grade, okay, when I actually started stuff. I know where you're going with this. And you've done it from seventh grade all the way through college and now another seven years of professional football. I don't want to see another fucking weight in my life. <laughs> you know? You I can relate to that, yeah, man. Yeah, you're like, I don't want to do this. So I'm I mean, done. I, I don't want to see it. And if I do that, it brings back, not it brings back good stuff, but you're like, I did this for so long. Yeah. You're burned out. I don't want to do this. And now it's at a point, though, now where, like, I do have to go to the gym. Yeah. I still don't want to. Because it's not only good for your physical health, it's going to be good for your mental health as well. Yes, yes. But physically, for physical health, you definitely do. I ran track and cross country in college, and we ran so many miles through high school and college. When I got done... The last thing I want to do is put on a pair of running shoes and go run 15 right. miles or even go for a four-mile jog in the a, morning. Even a mile and a half jog no. in the neighborhood. You don't want to no. do it. Yeah. I'm done. I put a lot of miles on these yes. legs. Yeah. The tread is thin. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's just one of those things. So I guess where I'm going with it all is, you know, the transition piece and the mental health side, I'm more aware now than I ever was. Me too. And there was a long period of time where I felt lost. And he didn't know where to turn. And 
because we're men, we don't, you don't confide in anybody else you need to confide in. So what was the turning point? Because obviously you, like myself, we had an issue with internalizing for a very long time. Now for me, it was two years, which was long enough. Sounds like you were internalizing for much longer than that, being that you were out of the league. So when, when did the, when did the shit hit the fan? Like, when did you finally say, I got it. I can't hold this in anymore. I need someone to talk to. Um, I don't know if there's actually if I can point to a single moment, right? But I think there were some times where I didn't make very good decisions. Um, I wasn't emotionally available as I needed to be for the people around me. Mm-hmm. You know, you pull back. Um, you know, you do some things that you shouldn't do, and when I say you shouldn't do, just you're not making a wise decision on stuff. Um, you're not doing anything wrong. You're just not doing things that are in the it's best not, way. Not doing for, enough. You're not doing enough. Yeah. yeah. And you're looking at things going, well, I know I need to get some help. I need to talk to somebody, but I'll be okay. So, but there wasn't a defining moment. I mean, and it's okay if you didn't, but like for yeah. me, like there was that after all of these years that are those two years, I should say, I don't want to exaggerate it, that, that I was not talking about this. And I had that moment where I finally opened up to somebody and I talked about it. And then I was at that moment when I realized wow, these guys do care and they don't think of me as a failure. And I shouldn't, you know, I've been overthinking this a little bit and, you know, man, I feel better now that I was able to get that off my chest. You didn't have a defining moment like that. I don't necessarily know if I feel like I had a defining moment like that. I feel like I had moments. Okay. Probably. That's fair. Stages. Um, Have you talked about like you're on this podcast talking about some deep stuff. Like, have you done that before? Like talked about this publicly like this? Yeah. Um, Yeah, a little bit. Good. Not, not like good. Necessarily. I'm not trying to no, be the no. first. I'm not. That's not why I asked. No. I'm just hoping that you have. Yeah. No. I, I've talked good. about it. I haven't gone probably into details as much like this, but I think I'm becoming more aware of how important it is to talk about. Good. Because I'm also becoming more aware of listening to other people's stories. Yep. Me too. Because I think that's you called can, empathy. Yes, but I think you can you can take things from it and understand from maybe anybody's situation on stuff and say, okay, look, somebody else is going through this or has gone through this as well. And I think when you look at people in the public eye, whether you're on the radio, right, where people know your voice every single day, hosting a radio show, whether you're an NFL football player, whether you're the VP at a bank, Right. There's this persona about you that everybody assumes. Yep. And you think you know them or you think you know what's going on in their head. It's like you see this a lot nowadays where you're like, hey, choose kindness, right? Because you never know what somebody's day is like yep. or what they're going through. And you're 100% correct. You don't. But you have to have that awareness and you have to hear other people's stories to, number one, as you mentioned, be empathetic to it, but then also understand yourself that, you know, I can learn something from this situation. Mm-hmm. So I think for me to answer your previous question, there were moments. I don't think there was a singular moment. But I know when I started going to see somebody else, and after you get through the first two, because a lot of it's like, okay, let's go through your background. Let's understand. Mm-hmm. You know, when you to say get, you went to see somebody, like you went like to see Like an actual a, counselor. Yes, good, correct. Good. Yeah, okay. like a professional counselor. Yep. Um, so, and there's... You know, not that I had a stigma about it before, 
But there's so much freedom that comes from that. Sure. Because they're not judging you, right? I think that's the one thing a lot of people don't want to talk about. 100% is judgment. Yeah, it's it's a fair judgment. It's 100% judgment. It's like, well, okay. You know what? You might be feeling that way today, Ronnie, but you'll be all right tomorrow, right? Like the old, yeah. it's it's probably just a little phase you're going through or whatever. Yep. Like, no, it's deeper than that, man. It's exactly. deep, it is 100% deeper than that. So going through those pieces and those stages to me have really, really helped. And I guess what I'm trying to say is I've gone through a lot of the same shit that everybody else has. And a yeah. lot of other players have too. Um, you know, I, I'm fortunate to be a part of the Chiefs ambassador group here, former alumni players. There's not a single group like it in the National Football League around around the league. That's cool. what we have here. That's so cool. And guys are a part of it for different reasons. We number one, we give back to our community, mm-hmm. both through monetarily and through our time. But we get together once every month, which is why I had to reschedule to be here <laughs> instead of a couple <laughs> weeks ago with you because I forgot we had our meeting. And yeah. it's on a Wednesday, and a lot of guys are there for camaraderie. Because you still get the brotherhood of that piece. Now we're not with some of the guys, we're not getting into the deep stuff with people, but you start forming relationships with people you didn't play with who have gone through things the same way you have. Yeah. Who are empathetic to it and will listen to you. And I think the number one thing I'll have to say with this whole deal is it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. It's okay to be vulnerable. And it's okay if you're feeling embarrassed before you talk about it, right? I think that's the one thing. Because it could be a financial situation with you. Um, you know, like, hey, I'm going through this because of a divorce. All these different things, right? Mm-hmm. It could be I'm just not feeling myself. It could be I've got all these stressors that are happening right now. How do I handle this? And someone might, in your head, this was explained to me once, especially by my counselor. You have anxiety, okay? You got all these things going on around you. And you're like, I got this going on, this going on. I'm feeling all this pressure. And, you know, you got a stain on your T-shirt. Okay, you walk in that room. Nobody else <clears throat> is going to notice the small stain on your T-shirt but you. Now, yep. Somebody may see it, but nobody's going to say anything to you. Yeah. But you've worked yourself up thinking all these things in my head. Yeah. Or, you know, I just got a new haircut. I don't like it. And I'm going to walk in and mm-hmm. people are going to stare at me and they're all going to be thinking this. Those people aren't thinking anything of that of you. Yeah. That's such <clears> a great, not. that's a great example. <clears throat> but you're working it up in your head. You're so anxious. Yeah. That those people don't care. Those people may care about you. But my point is everything thought you have in your head, those people aren't thinking it. You're just thinking it. Yep. Yep. You're thinking they're thinking that of you. I get it. It's like public speaking. You get up and all of a sudden you have a pause, right? They tell you. And it feels like it's like a minute and a half, or really it was like two seconds, you know? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, so I forgot what I was going to say. So you just pause for a second. And it feels like forever to you because you're trying to gather your thoughts. Yeah. But it really was like three seconds, so nobody sure, knows. Sure. It's all in your own head. Yeah. And so by once he told me that on some of this stuff, it helped clear my mind, not completely. But it takes away that portion of my thought process. So now I don't have all these other things going on in your head. Mm-hmm. It's more of a singular focus. Yep. So by going by, number one, having, since we're men, I'll just say it, having the balls to talk about it. Because yeah. that's the thing. People don't, it's like, it's ballsy. No, it's not. It's really not ballsy. But if you got to put it that way and say, have the balls to talk about it, have the balls to talk about it. Yeah, right? Because we talk about have the balls to do this or have the balls sure, to do that. Sure. So go ahead and say that. It's have the balls to talk about it. 
don't be embarrassed by it yeah. because people want to help other people. That's the other piece to it. People want to help other people. And if I can't help you with maybe your issue that's going on right now, if you're having that conversation with somebody, if you're like, hey, I can't help you with this, but I know somebody who can. Yep. Or how, I can ask you, how can I help you with what's going on? I've also learned in the process is you find out who your friends are too. 100%. You know, you find out like those who you thought, there was in my, and I've said this in, the, in another podcast a couple of weeks ago, there were people who I thought would be there and they were empathetic and they cared, but they weren't really there. Like mm-hmm. they were kind of just yeah. surfacely attached, yep. not below the surface. And then there were some people who I would have never expected to have the, have the, um, what am I trying to say? I guess the, 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 the empathy to the level of which they did yep. and they were constantly calling in and checking and not that I was expecting that, but it was just, it was reassuring. It was like, okay, okay. Now, now I know. And although I was disappointed with some of these people, right, I was really impressed with these people. But I had like peace of mind knowing, okay, now I know. Yep. Anyway, that's yep. for no, me it's anyway. true. We need to wrap this up, bro. It's been two hours and seventeen minutes. It is officially the longest podcast of all of them that we've done in the pop in the uh, seven episodes of the. We could have talked podcast. about this portion a lot longer. We we yeah. we and we need to. Yeah, we're we gonna will. we're definitely gonna have you back. So before we uh, wrap this up, I just have one more question. What is next for Mark Bo Richter? What's in your future? What are you doing now? You got a full time job. You're obviously doing broadcasting <laughs> gonna, as a side you're hustle. Give me anxiety. I'm just gonna be open. You're giving me anxiety. Yeah. Right? About <laughs> um, and I joke about it, but. Um, no, there's a lot going on. Um, when I say a lot, a lot of, lot of really positive things, um, staying busy with the broadcasting side, especially as we get here toward the fall, uh, again, staying busy with my kids, um, you know, trying to help my daughter decide where she wants to go to college at some point, um, here, Kansas State University. Uh, she hasn't looked there yet. It might be too close for her, um, <laughs> her thought process. I don't she know. You were three blocks I away know, from your parents. She hasn't latched on and doesn't want to hear that, you know, your dad only went to school three blocks away from home. Right. Um, and, you know, watching my son help coach a baseball team right now, uh, which has been fun that he's back playing uh, baseball. He'll play some football this fall as well as an eighth grader. Um, I'm kind of trying to enjoy my last next year. I'll still be able to coach him baseball wise, but mm-hmm. this past fall I helped with his, his football team. And it's, it was kind of the realization of a bunch of his dads, um, which were probably the most experienced coaching staff for an eighth or seventh grade team <laughs> with two guys that played in the national football league. Who's the other one? Who's the uh, other coach? Jeb Poutier. Oh yeah. The Broncos. Um, wow. That's cool. He lives here. Yep. Jeff Boyle, who, uh, Went to Wyoming, had a cup of coffee with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, <laughs> it's a defensive lineman. It. It's a defensive lineman. A couple other guys that played at Kansas State uh, and stuff. And That's really cool. Yeah. You guys got to have a really good team. Yeah. We were pretty good. Yeah. That's good. And sidebar, I'll tell you another story later on that whole thing. But it was fun. But okay. where I was going with this is enjoying my time with him because we all realized this past fall, it's the last time, unless we become an assistant coach at the high school at some point, that we're going to coach our kids. Yeah. That's kind of a sad, depressing moment. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you look back on all the great memories you've had on things. Sure. It's been good. So good. I'm in to my point where I'm going with this long-winded. Things are going well. Um, enjoying the moments that are happening right now. That's where I'm at with things. Enjoying the moments. Trying to enjoy them. 
Anything else you want to promote? Promote any kind of social media or any business? Not at this point. With? I no? mean, you can follow me on Twitter. Just at Embo Richter, I think it is. I don't even know my Twitter handle. <laughs> people find me. Um, people find me. It's Mark with a C. Yeah. B-O-E-R-I-G-T-E-R. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere in there. It's one of those things. I don't know. You Bro, can find it. We've been friends for nearly 20 years. And, it's hard to believe, um, too, by the I way. I know, right? Jeez almighty. I love you to death, and I... <laughs> Appreciate you being here. Mark, thank you again for taking time away from your wife and kids to drive across town to do this podcast. Not only do I appreciate all the stories and the professional insight to the game, but also appreciate your vulnerability to discuss those difficult times. And most of all, I appreciate your friendship, brother. Thanks, man. When we come back, we'll wrap up this episode seven of the Papa Ron podcast. You're listening to the Papa Ron podcast. Keep up to date on new podcasts, new discussion topics, Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Search Papa Ron Podcast and be sure to like and leave a comment. Now, back to the show. Here again is your host, Ronnie Phillips. Thanks again to my buddies Dakota Thorne and Quentin Verlinick of Marathon Media Management for being such a huge asset to this show by providing the video for this podcast and for just being really good, solid friends who have pushed me to do this podcast in the first place. Also, thanks to Rick Hunter, Rich Donovan for producing the imaging elements of this of this show. Don't forget to catch Donovan on his online radio station that plays music from the 80s and the top hits of other decades at coolfmonline.com. Again, next week on the show, Melissa Hagen is a functional nutritionist and, and a uh, integrative mental health practitioner and a goofy chick on TikTok and Instagram with the focus on what the hell is wrong with our system. Those are her words, not mine. You can follow her on um, on TikTok or Instagram. Her handle is the wellness witch. She will discuss the importance of gut health and the emphasis of brain health. She has a holistic approach to mental health issues, and I think it will be very insightful. Also, thank you for listening or watching this episode. This podcast is found on popular podcast platforms. It can also be seen on Spotify and the Papa Ron Podcast YouTube channel. So for Marathon Media Management, my boy, Mark Bo Richter, I'm Ronnie Phillips. You've been listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, hit subscribe now and tell your friends on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and other social platforms. To participate on the show, leave a message with your comments or questions by calling or texting 816-558-6389. That's 816-558-6389. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Papa Ron Podcast. Papa Ron Podcast. Oh.